Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. until 
the new president takes office in January. That was her dying wish. Tonight, Mitch McConnell publicly, the night that she, the night of her passing, he couldn't wait 24 hours, issued a statement saying that he was going to uh, give Trump a vote in violation of, of her dying wish. People can say how appalling, people could say this is horrible, etc. But we know who this man is. We know who this man is. This is a man who does not care about a dying woman's final wish, clearly. So what can you do then? Some have mentioned the possibility if they try to push through a nominee in a lame duck session that, that you and this, the House could move to impeach. President, President Trump or Attorney General Barr as a way of stalling and preventing the Senate from acting on this nomination? Well, we have our options. We have arrows in our quiver that I'm not about to discuss right now. Uh, but the fact is, we have a big challenge in our country. This president has threatened to not even accept the results of the election uh, with statements that he and his henchmen have made. So uh, right now, uh, our main goal, and I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg would want that to be, would be to protect the integrity of the election as we protect the American people from the coronavirus. And that's, we, I have faith in the American people on this Sunday morning. I hope and pray we have a vaccine and that it will be soon, but it must be safe and efficacious when we do, not one day sooner, not one day later than that. But the fact is, this administration has been a total failure in protecting the health and well-being of the American people, and it has had an impact on our economy. The lives, the livelihood, and the life of our democracy are threatened by this administration. So again, uh, when people say, what can I do? You can vote, you can get out the vote, uh, and you can do so as soon as possible. Ten states, as I said, on Friday, uh, started their early voting the, the day that we lost but, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But to be clear, you're not taking any arrows out of your quiver. You're not ruling anything out. Good morning. Sunday morning. The... Uh, we have a responsibility. We take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. We have a responsibility to meet the needs of the American people. Uh, that uh, is uh, uh, when we weigh the equities of uh, protecting our democracy requires us to use every arrow in our quiver. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 23rd of September, year of our Lord, 2020. What an intro. Yeah. That's just that's just par for the fucking course. As you can figure out, we're going to do a lot of RGB, a violent left, some narrative, and that's about it today because it's just, I mean, come on. Come the fuck on. Before we start this show, I really want you all to think. I'm going to play a soundbite. Right now, and I want you to tell me, how did we get like this? Hey, everybody, it's Amanda. I just wanted to say one other thing. You know, for all these fucking religious people that has a trouble with me cussing and 
supporting their little fucker Trump? Let me tell you something, you goddamn hypocrites. You want to say something about me cussing, and then you support that motherfucker that wants to cut old people off of Social Security and cut out health care in this pandemic and put kids in cages and... You know, once they get here because y'all fight abortion, then you don't want to do anything to help them. You don't want to feed them. You don't want to help them at all financially. And you don't give a shit if they get educated. So, honey, take your hypocritical ass and go to fucking hell. That's what we think about you. That's what I think. What do you think? Fuck them. 2020. Yeah, by we, I mean lefties. How did they get like this? When Scalia died, did you hear the following? You know, because in the intro, I put a couple. Oh, that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg. Here's a f- fourth person, a montage, and a dude actually mocking it. Guys, guys, like... Do you, do you not see what's happening? Georgia's literally about to pass a bill, or they already passed the bill, where as soon as a fetus has a heartbeat and it's detected, you can't get an abortion. Do you not realize that the earliest you can detect a pregnancy is at four to six weeks, I believe? The heart starts beating by week three. I I, this, I'm, I'm, I haven't looked at the facts, but the, the heartbeat can be detected way earlier than, like, than, than you guys are realizing. Like, I, I don't think you guys are realizing how big, how big of a fucking deal this is. And, like, how terrifying this is for women around the world. Like, you guys don't realize that, like, my body anatomy is being taken from me. If I don't want a fucking child in me, I should not have to have that fucking child in me. And this should not be up for debate. This shouldn't be something that legislators in a house seat that don't even have a womb or ovaries should be able to decide. We have to fix this, guys. This is a really big deal. And I don't understand why we're not talking about this. Like, fucking you driving a car, but I just got a notification that if you buy a pumpkin spice drink at Tim Hortons, they'll give you a pumpkin for free? Can 2020 get any worse? Women, just because it's September doesn't mean everything that you have to drink has to be pumpkin-infused crap. Pumpkin spice isn't a lifestyle. What the fuck? What the fuck is wrong with people? 
I mean, me and the wife had a conversation about this last night because we watched Tucker, and I could play the whole Tucker show. It, it covered the Renton House. It covered Soros, where they literally censored his video because he's telling the truth. It covered EBT fucking shit. I mean, it's just a litany of horrible crap. But we both said, what is wrong with you when the sheer thought that you couldn't abort a baby makes you freak the fuck out like this. I mean, they're dusting off the women's march. We'll hear about that in our violence section, but what makes people this crazy? I know the answer. It is relentless four years of the media saying we're at the brink of the end. I mean, the Steve Schmidt soundbite from last podcast gets people just fucking crazy so crazy that well for a fucking period of four years the left has told people well if they get another supreme court justice they're gonna repeal roe and then rgb dies and then they cook up the lie that she on her deathbed said she didn't want to be replaced by this president. She wanted the next president. And they literally take it to the Senate floor with poster boards that you and I paid for to keep up the lie. And then women lose their shit. And some Canadian, a Canadian, sends ricin to the president of the United States. I'll paraphrase the story. She's from Quebec. She was caught here illegally with a fake driver's license living, got booted, and then sent it to the White House. And of course, our media, there's no freak out that the President of the United States got rice and sent to him. If this was Obama, ESPN would be on a loop about the right wing and alt-right and boogaloo proud boys and other groups they make up. I mean, Drew Hernandez, I'm going to start the podcast, but just, just to show how bad they have gotten these people. Ask Siri, where are the terrorists? Apple is seriously an embarrassment to this country, putting officer lives in danger. He just put that tweet out. I don't have an Apple, so I can't ask Siri, but Barb E does. Just tried it. Comes up with all the police stations by me. I was in a terrorist attack, and I'm highly offended by this. Apple sucks. Makes you wonder what they have planned for our future. I've been hearing so much lately. Started with a toilet paper craze. It was a setup to see if we could comply. All of this is getting insane. Another person, I did this and got all my local police departments. Apple is an embarrassment. I'm totally disgusted by this, and we not be purchasing their products again. People say that, doesn't mean it's true. And the most inane section from a Tucker Carlson show, which I, once again, I'm trying to stay away, but it's impossible. It's just impossible Who is financing the left? It's big fucking tech. 
in places like Portland and San Francisco and Philadelphia, violent crimes are sometimes treated like traffic violations. Why is that? Well, last night on the show, we pointed out that billionaire ideologues like George Soros have spent millions of dollars on local district attorney races. Their goal is to replace prosecutors who prosecute with partisan operatives who prevent the enforcement of the law. Criminals commit crimes, police arrest them, Soros-backed DAs release them. That is not a conspiracy theory. We have watched it happen again and again. People die as a result. Our society degrades as a result. Things fall apart. Why does George Soros want that? We have no idea and we're not going to speculate. But we can say with certainty that George Soros has done this to the rest of us. It is a matter of public record. Soros and his lawyers hate it when Americans point that out. They've intimidated many news organizations into silence on the subject. They don't think you have a right to notice what George Soros is doing to your country. We disagree with that, so we pointed it out. Immediately after we did, Soros's fellow billionaires came riding to his rescue. Twitter slapped a warning label on our video from last night's show. They claimed it contained, quote, sensitive contact, content. For context, there are porn feeds on Twitter, huge porn feeds with graphic video and more than a million followers that have no such warnings from Twitter. So hardcore pornography is fine, let your kids watch, but criticizing George Soros is obscene. We asked Twitter about this. They claimed it was all a mistake. They always claim that, they're liars. Twitter didn't block rioters from sharing the location of Mitch McConnell's house, but stating obvious facts about George Soros, Twitter's algorithm said that was dangerous content. This is censorship, obviously. But more than that, it's a metaphor for what is happening to our country and to our politics. America's grotesquely distorted economy is making a tiny group of people richer than anyone has ever been in human history. Those people suddenly run everything, including our elections. They are subverting our political system far more brazenly and with much greater effect than that dastardly Vladimir Putin ever dreamed of doing. Our billionaire class is the real threat to democracy. That's obvious if you think about it, which is why you're told you're not allowed to think about it. Twitter won't let you. Democrats never even mention it. It wasn't so long ago that Joe Biden used to lecture us about getting money out of politics. Remember that? As recently as last year, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren hounded Michael Bloomberg on stage for trying to buy the Democratic nomination. In case you've forgotten, here it is. The fundamental problem in this country is the power that the billionaire class has over the economic and political life of this country. I don't think any billionaire ought to be able to do it, and I don't think people who suck up to billionaires in order to fund their campaigns ought to do it. One person, one vote, not billionaires buying elections. We've got billionaires who think they can just buy an election. Case in point, Michael Bloomberg. Bernie Sanders may be an extremist, but he was right. Elizabeth Warren may be a fake Indian who doesn't know how to drink beer, but she was right, too. Warren doesn't talk about that anymore. Michael Bloomberg has promised to spend more than $100 million to make Joe Biden president. One man spending $100 million in a single presidential election. But that's just the beginning of what Michael Bloomberg is doing. Bloomberg is also spending tens of millions of dollars to elect Democrats to the House of Representatives. And then today we learn that Bloomberg has raised $16 million to pay the court fines for 32,000 Hispanic and black Florida voters, and apparently choosing them by race, who have felony convictions. Why is he doing this? Well, a Bloomberg advisor just admitted it out loud. Quote, it immediately activates tens of thousands of voters who are predisposed to vote for Joe Biden. Cynical? Scary? Yeah, it is. 
What does Elizabeth Warren have to say about that, about Bloomberg trying to buy this election? Well, nothing, of course. Apparently it's fine now. And what about our pampered revolutionary from suburban Westchester, Sandy Cortez? Cortez has told us she doesn't think billionaires should exist unless they're giving her power, in which case she slobbers all over them just like everyone else. Again, it didn't used to be this way. Democrats used to pretend that they cared about democracy. Once again, we refer you to last year's primary debates. The mayor just recently had a fundraiser that was held in a wine cave full of crystals and served $900 a bottle wine. Billionaires in wine caves should not pick the next president of the United States. This is the problem with issuing purity tests you cannot yourself pass. Senator, your net worth is 100 times mine. We need the support from everybody who is committed to helping us defeat Donald Trump. Uh, I do not sell access to my time. I don't do call time with millionaires and billionaires. I don't do call time with millionaires and billionaires. Oh, yeah, you do. In fact, that's now the entire Joe Biden for president campaign. Call time with millionaires and billionaires. The dozen people who gave the legal maximum to the Joe Biden Victory Fund, $620,000 check required, half of them came from Silicon Valley. And you'll recognize many of their names. Billionaires, in fact, like Facebook co-founder Dustin Moskowitz, Zynga founder Mark Pincus, Steve Jobs' widow, Lorene Powell Jobs. What's interesting is that all these people are, and we checked, white. They're also clearly highly privileged. And yet here's the funny thing. Somehow there aren't BLM protests outside of their homes accusing them of white privilege. Why is that? Because unlike blue collar police officers or your third graders sitting through yet another lecture on white supremacy and privilege, these people are funding the Democratic Party. So they're immune from all that. See how that works? You get yelled at and humiliated, maybe fired. Your son can't get a job because he's the wrong color. But billionaires get a total pass. In fact, they're heroes. They're not privileged. They're heroes. Wall Street gets the same deal. Big finance is so overwhelmingly for Joe Biden that Biden's handlers demanded a minimum of a million dollars before he even show up for a virtual event. But wait a minute, you may be asking. Haven't Democrats promised to police Wall Street? How can they police Wall Street if they're the choice of Wall Street? Well, pay no attention to the details, says Joe Biden. He's on your side. I, I, I really do view this campaign as a campaign between Scranton and, and, and Park Avenue. And I really mean it. Joe Biden really means it. In other words, he's lying. We checked the numbers. Joe Biden's campaign has raised more than a million dollars from donors living on, that's right, Park Avenue. The Trump campaign, by contrast, has raised just $127,000 from the same area, about one-tenth. In case you're wondering, by the way, Biden hasn't raised nearly as much from people in Scranton. Even the Washington Post had to ultimately admit what's going on. Quote, while Biden publicly calls out Wall Street excesses and promises to rein them in, Biden staffers privately are reassuring industry leaders that he won't focus on the issue in office, end quote. One investment banker reported the Biden campaign, quote, basically said, listen, this is just an exercise to keep the Elizabeth Warren people happy and don't read too much into it. Yeah, it's fine. We also shouldn't read too much into Joe Biden's pledge not to take funding from lobbyists or corporate PACs. Turns out fundraising data shows that's a lie, too. One of Biden's top advisors, a man called Steve Reschetti, is in fact a longtime pharmaceutical lobbyist. So we know what's happening here. Joe Biden has said on camera what big money does to the political process. Watch this. Lobbyists aren't bad people. Special interest groups are not bad people. But guess what? They're corrosive. People who accept the money from them aren't bad people. 
But it's human nature. You go out, Lynn, and bundle $250,000 for me, all legal, and then you call me after I'm elected and say, Joe, I'd like to come and talk to you about something. <laughs> you didn't buy me, but it's human nature. You helped me. I'm going to say, sure, Lynn, come on in. Oh, that's the old Joe Biden. And that's as close to an admission of political corruption as you will ever see on camera. Maybe Twitter will put a warning on it at some point. Josh Hawley is a senator from Missouri. It's fair to say no one in the Senate has done more to fight tech temp censorship than he has. We're happy to have him on tonight. Senator, thanks so much for coming on. So rich people have always had disproportionate influence on everything, including politics and restaurant reservations and, you know, everything. Really think about it. It's almost everything we talk about on the show, how the left projects. They project everything they're doing on the right. The right's about big business. We already showed... uh, Jesus Christ, every big business is financing Biden's campaign. And there you have it again. You can know about the Koch brothers, but damn you if you fucking talk about George Soros. Damn you if you talk about how big tech is trying to sway an election. You'll hear all the fucking astroturf groups that are Republican. But you'll never hear about the left. I mean, when we get to the end of RGB... Act Blue made $70 million. All off RGB dying. Because the left has spent their time with the media, because the media's Democrat, scaring people. Drew Holden starts us off. You had to know this was coming. Four short years ago, countless Dems media folks and blue checks were telling you, we need nine on the Supreme Court. Yet now, as we head into the election, that surely be contested. Their convictions have evaporated. To kick it off, we'll start with none other than Barack Obama. Refusing to skitter a Scotus nominee before one is even announced is irresponsible. Do your job. Now, Obama calls on Senate not to fill Ginsburg vacancy. Hillary Clinton, same fucking shit. Senator Schumer, uh, Senate has confirmed 17 Scotus justice in presidential elections. Now, the American people should have a choice in the selection of their next Supreme Court justice. Therefore, this vacancy should not be filled until we have a new president. That's not how the Constitution works. But I did get a bonus soundbite. Here's him getting heckled. We Democrats are fighting as hard as we can to protect Americans. And we need Americans to fight. Stop lying to the people. Jesus says, stop lying to the people. Jesus loves you guys. Thank you. Democrats are fighting as hard as we can to protect Americans, but we need Americans to continue to fight with us to keep holding Republicans. Yeah, I know it's the wrong way. That's how crazy they are in New York. Uh, Joe Biden, Joe Biden blocking Merrick Garland sets up genuine constitutional crisis. Breaking. Joe Biden speaks following death of Ginsburg. Let me be clear that the voters should pick the president and the president should pick the justice for the Senate to consider. Whoa, 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 what? I don't think they realize what they tweeted. That's not actually true. He's saying the right thing. Chris Murphy, Constitution Senate advising consent. Republicans go forward and set the presidents they set in the blank, the Senate will never, ever be changed. It'll be changed forever, blah, Blumenthal. Same thing. Back with Garland, you're a devil. Now we must not. Hirano, 
Leahy, Nayral. Now their tweet, we need to fight like hell to stop Trump's takeover of our courts. Everything is at stake. Join our fight. Cap action. Now it's not time for partisan battle over the next nomination of the Supreme Court. People have already begun to vote. It's clear the next president must nominate. Back in the old days, just 2016. Right now, Chuck Grassley should be converting Merrick Garland SCOTUS, confirming SCOTUS nomination. Leadership conference. And then we get to the media. CNN. Remember Merrick Garland, the U.S. Supreme Court nominee, waits and waits. Now, the late Supreme Court Justice Gold Ginsburg told her granddaughter just days before her death, most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced with a new president. When would a media cover a Republican? My last wish is that everybody in America vote for Trump. Do you think that would get published? Vox. Their new one. It's a Rixie play, but it's the one thing Democrats can do to stop Trump from replacing Justice Ginsburg. And we'll find out about it in sound bites because it's already been floated by Stephanopoulos. Yeah, you guessed it. Impeach him again. Uh, the MSDNC under Garland. Uh, Grassley tells SCOTUS from Merrick Garland the GOP blockade won't yield. I don't think McConnell obviously can hold the caucus together for a vote in the next 45 days, Chris Hayes says, because I don't want to lose abortion because I'm a girl too. Slate, no justice, no peach, and more winners of our Merrick Garland ice cream flavor contest. Now, principles will never stop him, but political reality still might. Yeah, uh, Romney's going to vote, so you guys are kind of fucked. Here's the rest of the goddamn media just losing their shit. This isn't even the angry shit yet. We want to bring in NBC's Andrea Mitchell, who knew Ruth Bader Ginsburg well. She joins us this morning. Andrea, you know that for Ginsburg, her Jewish faith was so important. By Jewish tradition, a person who dies on the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, as it was yesterday, is a person of great righteousness. You knew her personally. What are your recollections, your reflections today? (laughs) Well, righteousness uh, is an apt description, strength, incredible strength. Uh, This woman was so determined, uh, she could do anything. Good morning, Whit. And what a life it was, what a legacy it was. The flags here uh, at half-staff, people still gathering here in the just after dawn light at the Supreme Court. Justice Ruth Ginsburg, one of those Americans, and there aren't many really, who through force of character and her brilliant intellect was able to expand our understanding of those bedrock constitutional ideals, equality and liberty. She was born into a very different America where liberty and basic opportunity and human dignity for women look very, very different than they do today. And that change came about in large part because of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Her character, her intellect, her fierce determination to see the words equality and liberty made real for Americans changed America. Overnight, crowds gathered on the steps of the Supreme Court to mourn the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg at 87 years old. So many young people there saying goodbye to a most improbable pop icon. Ginsburg dealt with complications from metastatic pancreatic cancer. She spent her last moments surrounded by family at her home in Washington, D.C. 
Tributes pouring in overnight. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi writing, Every woman and girl, and therefore every family in America, has benefited from her brilliance. Former President Bill Clinton, who appointed her, saying, Her landmark opinions moved us closer to a more perfect union. Ginsburg's life was astonishing. Justice Ginsburg, will you... Barely five feet tall, a diminutive woman who fought through barriers of discrimination and became a giant of American law and American life. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. The notorious RBG, she came to be known by a younger generation, only the second woman named to the Supreme Court, serving there for more than a quarter century. Her path to the highest court in the land was not easy. As one of the few women at Harvard Law School, she then faced discrimination after graduating from Columbia in the 1950s. She was one of nine women in a class of 500. She was tied for first in her class. And the big New York City law firms just weren't hiring women. So Ginsburg turned to civil rights law, and she engineered a brilliant legal strategy, arguing and winning five cases before the Supreme Court, fighting discrimination against women in the workplace and elsewhere in society. Ginsburg went on to serve as a federal appeals court judge in the nation's capital. Until that life... Ginsburg went on to serve as a federal appeals court judge... I am proud to nominate for associate justice of the Supreme Court... Judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The Senate confirmed her in a sweeping 96-3 to vote, and she quickly began making her mark in historic cases. Uh, Justice Ginsburg, as has already been said this hour, famously said she had three strikes against her when out of law school and looking for work. Uh, she was a woman, she was a working mom, and she was a Jew. And I'd like to begin by talking about her Jewish faith, which was so important to her. I was reminded tonight that in the Jewish, Jewish faith, those who die on Rosh Hashanah are mm -hmm. believed to be uh, blessed with a, an extra type of divine righteousness. It was um, mm -hmm. deeply a part of who she was as a thoroughly modern figure and as a woman like Justice O'Connor, despite having sterling first-class credentials, a huge intellect, uh, had such a hard time breaking in. And isn't it amazing that it was all the day before yesterday? Uh, we're honoring a woman who faced those barriers uh, 20 minutes ago. And like John Lewis, uh, like Justice O'Connor, uh, someone who we were able to watch move from a place of exclusion and of limited opportunity to the pinnacle of power. And once at the pinnacle of power, always remembered from whence she came and how she had to open the path for others. And I think that part of the legacy here uh, for Justice Ginsburg is her life now becomes part of a living debate in the life of the country. What consequences are Senate Democrats willing to put on the table? Um, will Senate will Senate Democrats consider um, expansion of the court, putting more members on? As Neil Katyal said, Democrats would have every right to do um, immediately making D.C. a state, adding more senators. What Katyal last night said to me and I believe said on other programs on MSNBC that Democrats would be well within their rights to start packing the court. Um, there was a threat when they thought Hillary Clinton was going to win that they said they would filibuster her, her Supreme Court picks for four or eight years that they had to mm -hmm. to keep any Democrat from ever filling. So this is now on the table. Democrats right. 
need to respond in kind, right? I mean, do you see any other option? No. Uh, Democrats can't just threaten. They have to mean it. They have to mean it when they say we are going to get rid of the filibuster rule if you do this, that we are going to add uh, Supreme Court seats or, or justices to the Supreme Court if you do this. And I think there are a whole lot of other things that could be added to the, the threat list. It's time for Democrats to step up and use everything in their power to ensure that if Mitch McConnell and President Trump do what we all believe and know they're going to do, that there will be a price to pay no matter who wins the election in November. Absolutely. Uh, it's Saturday, so you can get a Seventh-day Adventist. Amen. Uh, well, it's David. We're going to explore every avenue to stop Mitch McConnell from stealing yet another Supreme Court seat. And does that include potentially making it clear that Democrats will vote on D.C. statehood and Puerto Rico statehood immediately upon taking power and taking control of the Senate, um, that expanding the Supreme Court, as Neil Katyal and others have said, would be a completely legitimate response, saying, OK, there'll be 15 seats on the Supreme Court now. Um, that's going to happen um, if he goes for this um, and in getting rid of the filibuster in the next United States Senate. All of those matters will be on the agenda, but first and foremost, we'll have to take back the Senate. This is her opinions and her dissent are going to continue uh, to shape the basis for a law for for a generation. But there is no doubt. Let me be clear that the voters should pick the president, and the president should pick the justice for the Senate to consider. This was the position of the Republican Senate took in 2016 when there were almost 10 months to go before the election. That's the position the United States Senate must take today. And uh, the election is only 46 days off. Does, does anybody actually watch Don Lemon? I mean, get the fuck out of here. The left would never do it. This is politics. And when we have President Biden, which I fear with every ounce of my fucking body, but I think it's going to happen. When we have President Biden, we have a Senate that's probably going to be more equal or left by a a vote. You know, we're going to flip sides where they have a slim majority. We'll go back to this is obstruction. And they'll start pushing the get rid of the filibuster. The minority rule. It's already starting a narrative today. I'll talk about it. They already got articles. So, then we get into the media outright calling for resistance. Chuck Schumer has telegraphed as much. I mean, he's basically saying... If Democrats win the Senate, if Democrats win the White House, Katie, bar the door. You know, they're going to well, do. Sort, Go ahead. He sort of said that. He said nothing's off the table. You know, Democrats are right. great about talking big, but uh, we'll right. see if he has the if 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 he and the other Democrats have the guts to do anything. If they retake control of the Senate, will they really add the two seats? Why the wouldn't Supreme they? Why wouldn't they? That, have, I mean, if they if they're in control, why wouldn't they? Because they're weak and they're wimps and they're right. afraid. And, and I, I think, you know, the Democrats, you know, we, we think about Bush v. Gore and, you know, which David, which David argued. You know, in 2016, Al Gore said, no street protests. You know, this is just a legal process. 
while David saw in Tallahassee and in Washington the, the, the Republican forces massing against them, you know, literally on the streets. I mean, there is a difference to how Democrats and Republicans go out, go about these fights. Let me ask you something. If the Democrats were in control of the Senate right now, and Trump was president, and he wanted to nominate a justice. What do you think they'd say? Well, I think they'd do the same thing they did in 2016. They they do it. That's, That's what right. they did. That's my point. That's, That's why did. nobody so, cares what the Democrats are saying now. No, 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 no. I think they do exactly what they did in 2016. You can say what you want about Democrats. Democrats usually wet the bed. They're not as strategic. You when it think they give Trump I a justice after I, what happened with Merrick Garland? I think if they, if yes, I think they abide by. Well, well, it's different because. It's different because Democrats did not make the promise. See, you keep comparing things that aren't equal. Democrats did not make the same promise in 2016. It wasn't a promise. Democrats were on the other side. They said... It wasn't a promise. Okay. It was a BS All right, rationale semantics. to explain what they were doing semantics. to deprive them of power. Semantics. They didn't allow the, 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 his nominee to go through. They wouldn't even have a hearing. They said, we're not going to do it. So that wasn't Democrats doing that. That was Republicans doing it. And if you come on this side, I don't know what Democrats would do. Democrats they may, back in 2016. It, it would not mean that they were being hypocritical if oh, they did they, it. They are being hypocritical. It's it would, not it, the Chris, same. It would be the were. same. They would have the same stance. No, hey, Democrats. Listen, listen, Klobuchar Chris. and Biden back then, not Biden, Klobuchar and others back then were saying, hey, you've got to have a full bench. You've got to have a full bench. Because of what the Republicans did in 2016. Democrats didn't do that in 2016. If Democrats actually put the person, wanted the person that was in office now to do it, they would be making the same choice. They would be, they would, they would be consistent with their principles. I don't know that. Yeah. And I think that most people don't agree with that idea, which is why they don't care about the difference between left and right. See, until you have a group of people that decide to consistently be better than what they reject, you're going to have people in the exact position they are right now, Don, which is no matter what happens, everybody sticks to the We're going to have to blow up the entire system. And you know what we're going to have to do? No, I don't know about You know that. what we're going to Yes, yeah. what you're going to have to do? You just got to vote. Honestly, from what your closing argument is, you're going to have to get rid of the Electoral College. Because the people... I don't see it. Because the minority in this country decides who the judges are and they decide who the president is. is but you that, need a constitutional amendment to do that. And if Democrats, if Joe Biden wins, Democrats can stack the courts... And they can do that amendment and they can get it passed. Well, you that's need two thirds vote. One of the reasons I wanted to speak with you, Senator Booker, is because I feel like you have um, you have a curiosity and interest and devotion to making sure that moral considerations are not only part of what everybody keeps to themselves about their political decision making, but moral considerations are discussed and moral considerations are put forward and. Um, kept in the argument so that we know that we're talking about things that have value and that aren't just about power. <sighs> Senator McConnell has said gleefully before the passing of Justice Ginsburg that, of course, if there was a vacancy while President Trump was in office, even if it was, you know, five minutes before the election, of course he would fill it. He's been um, publicly gleeful and has actually even raised funds on the basis of the fact that he would be rankly hypocritical um, in his approach to a, pre a Supreme Court vacancy with a with a Republican president in the office in office versus a Democratic president in office. And that sort of excitement about it, that sort of glee in putting forward that it is about power and nothing else, that there is no principle at work 
that I will do what is necessary to maximize mine, my party's power, no matter what. And anybody who falls for any idea of a principled decision about these things is a sucker who I will gleefully take advantage of. That, um, that performative power politics and certifying the rule of might makes right um, is something that I feel like we're living through now in Republican politics and in the Trump era. It's also something that I don't feel like I have very much clarity at all as to what's the best tactical way to fight back against it and to what's the moral way to fight back against it. I mean, do Democrats such as yourself on the Judiciary Committee um, you know, stick to your principles and do what's right and be institutionalists and think about the Constitution and think about the country and get taken advantage of because of it when they're playing pure power on the other side? Um, how do you defend against against the kind of politics you're up against if it really is just about seizing control? The passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what's going to happen? Well, obviously, Tucker, it's sad for her and her family, and I certainly um, am sorry for them and how they're going to mourn her loss. What I can't help thinking, though, is that this is just going to roil this election and roil this country. And I heard Molly talking about the Kavanaugh confirmation, which was just a shocking event, I think, in our country's history. But I think it's going to pale in comparison to what might happen if there is a fight in the next six weeks over confirming a new justice to the Supreme Court uh, when the election is literally right around the corner. Are you worried? I am worried. I mean, I think that given everything that's happened since George Floyd Tucker, I'm worried about violence. I think that especially the left has certainly seemed to accept that violence is a way of life. We've got a real war on police happening. We have police officers being gunned down, sitting in their in their patrol cars, and people talking about Bill Barr as if he's a traitor to the country, the Attorney General of the United States. And so I can only imagine that whoever a nominee might be and going through the confirmation process is going to inspire a lot of violence, because I think fascism is really on the march here. It seems to me that it's on the left and that they are trying to silence one side, make people afraid to speak out and give their opinions. You know, if you don't want to wear a mask, yep. you get doxxed and silenced and fired and sent from society in shame. So I can only imagine that what's going to happen to this country is going to be worse when something like a Supreme Court justice seat is at stake. I think you're right to be concerned. France a place where the right wing controls like it never has before. Uh, Jeff Tubin, I know you wanted to say something. Well, that that is certainly, certainly true. When you look at the lists of of uh, potential nominees that the president has, uh, President Trump has put forward, this would be a deeply, deeply right wing court. Um, uh, and John Roberts, who has shown signs of, mo of moderation, would be irrelevant because you would have. Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, uh, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and uh, the new nominee. So Robert Roberts would be irrelevant. But, you know, I, I, I do think we, you know, we're going to talk politics here. You know, the Democrats can pretend that they are powerless in this situation, or they can pick a fight for once. And it will be, you know, the idea that Mitch McConnell could engage in the greatest act of hypocrisy in American political history by stopping Merrick Garland, who 
who faced a vacancy in February of an election year and jamming someone through when there's a vacancy in September of an election year. You know, I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. I also recognize that there are only 53 Republicans in the in the in the Senate. And, you know, will Mitt Romney go along with this? Will Lisa Murkowski, will Susan Collins, will Lamar Alexander? I mean, the idea that this is somehow a foregone conclusion that Donald Trump can jam someone through either before election day or during the lame duck, I don't think is necessarily the case. So, you know, we'll, we'll, as the president likes to say, we'll see what happens, but it's not a done deal. There's some, we have some sound of uh, Mitch McConnell talking about uh, vacancy. Let's listen. Oh, we do it. So, uh, um, Jeff, the, you, you, you say it's not a foregone conclusion. What, what are the options for, for Democrats? Well, um, the, the, um, the, there, are, uh, there are several. First of all, um, there is political pressure on the Republican Party. I mean, it is not a complicated political issue to say, you know, you, you said, all of you Republicans said, that it, you know, February was too late. Why was February too late? But September is 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 okay. Um, the and, and you know there are Republicans who are politically vulnerable on this issue. There are Republicans running for office right now. Are they all going to just say to their voters, you know, we are going to be the greatest hypocrites in American history? I mean, you know, maybe yes, some will. But it's not a guarantee that all will. And, you know, the Senate is also a body that works on the concept of unanimous consent. If they want to go proceed with anything, the Democrats can force a vote on absolutely everything to delay this. Uh, Now, can they delay it until January 20th? I don't know. Um, what will Republicans do if Joe Biden wins the election? Will they really try to jam through a, a nominee, including senators who lost the election? I mean, I, I again, I don't know the answers to these questions. Um, there are only two formal rules that the Democrats have at their disposal. One is that uh, after the Senate Judiciary conducts a hearing, they have a right to delay for one week. Um, the vote in the committee. Then in the Senate itself, they have the right to insist on at least 30 hours of debate before um, the cloture, before uh, they, they move to a vote. Now, neither of those are enough to go till January 20th, but the Senate procedures have a lot of flexibility in them. And if Democrats want to want to fight, they can fight. But if McConnell succeeds here and he is able to get another justice on the court who's along the lines ideologically of a Justice Kavanaugh or Justice Gorsuch, what do you think would um, what do you think that we should know? Uh, I asked this of Dahlia as well. What do you think that we should expect in terms of what important cases would go the other way? What existing laws would be, what existing rulings would be overturned and what might change in America with a court that right wing? 
Well, you know, one very uh, troubling straw in the wind, I think, was a decision that came down from the 11th Circuit uh, Court of Appeals the other day involving uh, voting rights for uh, former felons in Florida. And the court split um, six, six to four, I think. And I believe all the, just, all the judges, all the appellate judges, five of the six appellate judges in the majority were Trump appointees. And so, you know, there's a template there for um, certainly a, a, a lack of regard for the right to vote. Uh, voter suppression mm. being the name of the game today. So that's very worrisome. We had a, a pellet argument uh, this week in the, um, ca the case involving Harvard and it, Harvard admissions and the phony claim, which was rejected by the district judge that uh, Harvard is using racially discriminatory tactics in building a diverse class of students. And I think uh, the ability of universities to take race at all into account in uh, building their, their student body is uh, certainly in jeopardy. Um, it's been in jeopardy for a long time, but it was Justice Kennedy, uh, you know, who retired two years ago, that kind of kept kept that alive. Um, so, and you know, and Dahlia mentioned abortion. That's that's obvious. Uh, uh, the right to abortion really is hanging by a thread. So uh, you kind of you know pick pick your case, and uh, to the extent that things have happened only incrementally in in recent years, instead of sweeping decisions, uh, that's because uh, the conservative side couldn't always quite count on five votes. And uh, if, if they get one to replace Justice Ginsburg, I think a lot of this would be a, a foregone conclusion. What Republicans are saying is, well, look, Democrats tried to get Merrick Garland uh, and Democrats would try to do this as well, just uh, that they would have no qualms doing this as well. Well, you know, they're constantly projecting what the Democrats would do as they break every single norm. And so here's Mitch McConnell right out of the box going back on the words that he spoke in 2016. Can't be trusted. And he expects all of his Republican colleagues to stand with them to steal. This is what they're doing, steal another Supreme Court seat. So last night, uh, very quickly after the death was... We begin the hour with some breaking news that could honestly destroy the Senate as we know it. Which is 42 days before the election, Re Republicans are more confident than ever that they have the votes to fill Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat on the Supreme Court. If this vote proceeds, the unintended consequences could echo through American politics for generations. Here's what Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer had to say after Romney and McConnell both spoke. Sadly again, sadly, Leader McConnell has defiled the Senate like no one in this generation. And Leader McConnell may very well destroy it. The Senate, it has been destroyed as we know it. So now we have a new Senate. It is now combating like the House. He who has the power just shoves it through. That is the future of the United States Senate. This looks like a political suicide mission for more than one Republican. That to go down this road, basically sight unseen. They'll support any nominee, sight unseen. Um, they're going to go down this. They're going to basically be whatever the leadership says, this close to an election 
when those ads, 95% of the time, Senator so-and-so votes with X, votes with... Those are usually devastating ads. This looks like a potential suicide mission for quite a few Republican incumbents, and yet the leader's forcing this. They're playing with a lot more fire here. Roe is a lot more popular than um, mm -hmm. Republicans want to believe uh, when it comes to these stuff. So it is, a, it is, it is more risk uh, than reward. My God in heaven. Do we have any journalists left is my question. I mean, this is more on journalists because our first ugly, Reza Aslan. Been a few days since I tweeted that if GOP tried to jam a SCOTUS through before election, we burn the fucking thing down. And since the death threats and Breibart headlines about my tweet are now stopped, let me just say that if the GOP tried to jam SCOTUS through, we burn the fucking thing down. We had the soundbite. Blow it all up. Democrat leadership is trying to threaten people into voting for Biden as if voters were conservative women trying to make it through a crowd of leftists. Oh, hell no. We'll vote for freedom over fascist every time. And this person literally shows a woman being beaten at a leftist protest. I never seen it. Literally beating her. Because that's what they do. Um, Tom Element. Tom Elliott, Radio Free Tom, accused the GOP of judicial activism seeking to fill a vacant SCOTUS seat. Senators said over and over again, constitutionally we're allowed to do this. That's right, but the fact of the matter is our system operates much more on norms than written law. The, the norm, until 2016, was to do it. Now you're saying that's not the norm. Okay. Uh, Rob Reiner, Ruth Gator's... Ginsburg's body isn't even cold and McConnell's dancing on her grave. This is war. Dems have powerful weapons. Now it's time to use them. Lincoln Project. Under no circumstance should your nomination go through in the United States Senate. Our full statement. Drew Holden. Shouldn't need to be said, but the reason the Lincoln Project are where they are isn't because of principles, because they're losers. Richard Blumenthal. If Republicans recklessly and reprehensibly force SCOTUS vote before the election, nothing's off the table. Mount up. You dare try to replace her now, and there will be war. That's a promise signed us, RGB, Russ Tamblin. Maria, I saw a child wearing a Trump 2020 mask at school today, and I wanted to literally burn him alive. That's a Biden voter. Rick Wilson, P.S. Y'all motherfuckers in the Senate GOP caucus brought the ticket. Our team is working fiercely tonight because we're about to take, you're about to take a goddamn ride. Sunrise movement. Because it all leads to protests. Because once again, you do this, we burn it down. You do this, we're going to burn you down. They know it works because it makes everybody scared. And they think it's working for them for polls. So when you don't do what we say, we beat your ass. Uh, breaking, Senator Tom Tillis fleeing his house, refusing to talk to activist protesters outside his house. Youth voters are outside house, demanding the delay a vote on SCOTUS nominations until 2021. Following a statement Saturday morning, he wouldn't even look us in the eye. Here's him fleeing his own house after he sent a dozen cop cars after us. I'm not going to play it. I was going to play it, but it's just another fucking bunch of fucking losers talking shit. Uh, Peter Baker. Uh, Trump spoke with the call on Friday night, and we have got a nominee, Amy Connie Barrett. 
Will Chamberlain. We've already had hearings for Amy Connie Barrett just a few years ago. We don't need to get the Democrats further this. Don't do the hearings. And everybody's saying it, and I agree. Molly, you can, uh, Molly Hemingway, you can disagree with McConnell rule, which was previously known as the Biden rule, but you describe it accurately. It's no confirmation in a presidential election year when Senate and presidency are held by different parties. Doesn't apply this year. Washington Post begins it. But before we begin... The destroying of a good lady. All right, a good lady. We're going to do a music break. Tucker's RGB is very good because it covers a lot more stuff. AOC and all the hate and threatening they've done. And then you'll hear a soundbite of the Emmys because i got to play it at least once. And we will come back in to a soundbite of blocking the nominee. They've already gone after the nominee just like they did Kavanaugh. And am I talking about Democrats? Well, yeah, I am. It's our media, not the actual politicians. Meantime, good evening. Welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. As you know, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died last Friday. She passed away of cancer. It was a sad moment because death is always sad, no matter who dies. Death is coming for all of us someday. For that reason, we ought to mark a person's passing with a bow of respect. Take a moment for humility and perspective. Meditate on the fragility of our own lives and the lives of those we love. Remember that death is the one thing that unites every human being. No matter how powerful we imagine we are, at some point, we will be gone, all of us. In our case, we almost never agreed with Justice Ginsburg's decisions, but on Friday night's show, we did our best to show some reverence, because that's the right thing to do. The left, by contrast, made no attempt at all. Prominent progressives immediately descended into hysteria and rage, unbridled rage. They told us that Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death was more than sad. They said it was a national crisis that imperiled this country's freedoms. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, they told us, single-handedly kept America from descending into fascism and tyranny. Now that she's gone, only her words can keep us safe. That's an odd claim if you think about it. This is supposed to be a democracy. No one ever voted for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. No matter how much you liked her or agreed with her, she was, in the end, a single judge in a country of 350 million people. She was not God. Yet, according to the left, Ginsburg was all we had. We must obey her dying words as if they were a religious text. Her final wish supersedes our founding documents. What would Ruth Bader Ginsburg do? We must ask ourselves that and then do it. Watch. As a nation... We should heed her final call to us, not as a personal service to her, but as a service to the country, our country, at a crossroads. Honor her last words, that she not be replaced until a new president is installed. She said, my most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced by a new, until a new president is installed. We believe that. Her fervent wish is that the next president pick. That was the last thing she said to the public. We know who this man is. We know who this man is. This is a man who does not care about a dying woman's final wish. Clearly. So turn down the volume and consider for a moment the reasoning here, the argument that they're making. Nothing is more important than our Constitution. That constitution is in grave jeopardy. 
That's why we must substitute an 87-year-old woman's final wish for the constitutionally prescribed process for filling a Supreme Court seat. That's what they're arguing. Got that? Pretty amusing. Keep in mind, we don't really know, actually, what Ruth Bader Ginsburg's final words were. Did she really leave this world fretting about a presidential election? We don't believe that for a second. If it were true, it would be pathetic. Because life is bigger than politics, even this year. We wouldn't wish final words that small on anyone. So we're going to, again, choose to believe that Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't really say that. That in real life, she was thinking at the end about her family and where she might be going next. Human concerns, not partisan ones. But in practical terms, it's irrelevant what she said. Ruth Bader Ginsburg doesn't get to pick her replacement from her deathbed. That's not how it works. We have a constitution we're supposed to be defending, remember? And that's the whole point of the constitution. If Justice Scalia had said something like that, nobody would have cared. We would have been embarrassed for him. Thankfully, he didn't say that. On some level, Democrats know all this. All this talk about Ginsburg's dying wish is ridiculous and insulting to all of us and our country. And they'll stop soon. Democrats have an alternative argument at the ready, and that's one they've been honing all year. It goes like this. Do what we want or we will hurt you. That's the real argument they're making. Reza Aslan, a longtime CNN employee, wrote this in the hours after Ginsburg died. Quote, if they even try to replace RBG, we burn the entire effing thing down. That effing thing being our country that we built. On Friday night, another Democrat tweeted instructions for how to begin that process. Quote, we're now walking to Mitch McConnell's house to protest. More than 120,000 people liked that post, shockingly. The follow-up came a few minutes later. Quote, his house is entirely dark, significant police presence out front. It's not clear that he's here. It's clear that he's not here, as confirmed by a neighbor who is not fond of him. People are going home. That's not a protest. That's a threat. The point of it was to terrorize Mitch McConnell and his family. McConnell knew it was coming because that's how things seem to work now. The police guarding his house are probably the only reason it's still standing. Watch. We shouldn't be surprised by that. It was just last year that another group of Democrats gathered outside Mitch McConnell's home chanting death threats. It was all on video. We put up with it, of course, so it's happened again. You get what you put up with. That's true of children. It's true of countries. And we're putting up with this, so we shouldn't be surprised. Who's doing it? Well, Trump voters are fascists, they tell us. But when was the last time Trump voters threatened Democratic politicians in their homes? Hard to recall that happening. No. The tactics are always the same, and it's always the same people doing it. Then in case Mitch McConnell didn't get the message, Biden voters assemble at the home of Senator Lindsey Graham. Graham chairs the Senate Judiciary Committee. They wanted to honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dying wish by making sure that Graham was intimidated. Watch. These aren't spontaneous demonstrations. No, of course not. They're organized on social media, and they're happening for a reason. 
The Democratic Party has encouraged this extremism over and over and over again. Nightly, we tell you about it, but it never ends. It gets worse. Last night, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer of New York held a press conference targeting Mitch McConnell by name. Hard to imagine that, but it happened. And Schumer invited Sandy Cortez, a first-term congresswoman from the Bronx. Here's what they said. If you want to get back at Mitch McConnell's blatant, nasty hip hypocrisy, call your senator and tell them not to listen to Mitch McConnell, not to be afraid of Mitch McConnell. And to Mitch McConnell, we need to tell him that he is playing with fire. We need to tell him that he is playing with fire. Really? That's a threat. And on Instagram, Sandy Cortez, America's most pampered revolutionary, went ahead and suggested that Democrats go further, maybe even embrace violence. Watch. Let this moment radicalize you. We need to focus on voting for Joe Biden. I don't care if you like him or not. This is not over. You know, we win in November. I'm sorry to tell you, you're not going back to brunch. We're not going back to brunch. That's not happening. We're not going back to brunch. So now you know what a freshman member of Congress was doing standing at the podium with the most powerful Democrat in the Senate. Why would he choose Sandy Cortez? Well, because Sandy Cortez doesn't simply represent a congressional district. She doesn't do that very well. No, her real role is as commander of the youth wing of the Democratic Party, the direct action wing. The thugs who have spent the last three and a half months burning and destroying, in some cases killing, on behalf, effectively, of the Joe Biden for President campaign. Cortez and her followers use these tactics for one simple reason. You know why? Because they work. This summer, a bar owner in Omaha called Jake Gardner was attacked during a BLM riot there. A man called James Spurlock jumped on Gardner's back and put him in a chokehold. Gardner shot Spurlock in order to save his own life. It was clearly self-defense, and that's what prosecutors concluded. But then Biden voters took direct action. They took to the streets. What does that mean exactly? Well, in this case, it means they gathered outside the home of Douglas County attorney Don Klein, and they threatened him. Their presence was a threat. And guess what? It worked. Last week, Gardner was charged with manslaughter. This weekend, Gardner killed himself. See how that works? Do you want to live in a country like that? Megan Hunt does. Megan Hunt is a state senator from Omaha. She is glad Jake Gardner is dead. Megan Hunt congratulated the mob on Twitter for pushing Jake Gardner to suicide. Hunt encouraged them to do it to others. As Hunt wrote on Twitter, and we're quoting, Jake Gardner is gone, but the white supremacist attitudes that emboldened him are still with us today. End quote. In other words, you know what to do. This should terrify you. Democratic leaders have decided that everything is allowed in pursuit of power. Nothing is off limits. Give us what we want or we will hurt you. In terms Nancy Pelosi can understand, that means maybe another impeachment. Some have mentioned the possibility if they try to push through a nominee in a lame duck session that, that you in this, the House could move to impeach President, President Trump or Attorney General Barr as a way of stalling and preventing the Senate from acting on this nomination. Well, we have our options. We have arrows in our quiver that I'm not about to discuss right now. Oh, impeach the president. For what? For following the Constitution's letter. For doing what the Constitution tells presidents to do when there's a Supreme Court vacancy. 
Could that really happen? What would the trial look like? We accuse you of following the law? Probably not going to happen. Plus, he knows that. That's why she's got other arrows in the quiver, as she said. One of those arrows is direct force. On Saturday, California Governor Gavin Newsom's chief of staff tweeted this, quote, I am ready to fly to D.C. in the middle of COVID-19 and lay my body on the floor of the United States Senate to prevent a vote from occurring before the next term of Congress. End quote. If she did that, many would join her, and maybe they'll do it. Maybe they'll come to Washington and physically prevent lawmakers from voting. That's never happened before in the history of our country. It could happen now. People are calling for it. Does that seem like extremism to you? Yeah. But if it does, keep in mind, you're the extremist. You're the one who's willing to do anything for power, including use force. Here's Hillary Clinton neatly explaining that her sins are, in fact, your sins. What's happening in our country is incredibly uh, dangerous. Our institutions are being basically undermined by the lust uh, for power, power for personal gain in the case of the uh, president, or power for institutional mm -hmm. uh, gain in the case of Mitch McConnell. Okay, so if you're following at home, just want to be clear on how this works. Democrats are so worried about your attempts to undermine our institutions that they, in the end, may have to burn those institutions down. Sorry, your extremism did it. Laura Ingram is the host of The Ingram Angle on the Fox News Channel. Airs nightly at 10 o'clock. We're always happy to have her on the show. Laura, thanks so much for coming on. Obviously, all of us are worried in the face of this within minutes of the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the mob formed outside the homes of lawmakers. Why don't Democratic leaders say unequivocally out loud tonight, tomorrow, now, tell their voters don't do this anymore? No more, quote, direct action, no more violence, no more threats. Do you think they'll do that? Uh, no, I don't. I think they've made an unholy alliance, Tucker, with the far left because I think they've kind of given up on convincing the rest of us that they can raise our standard of living or life in the United States is going right. to get a lot better under their policies. They're not even trying to argue that, really. They're doing climate change, but it's not really going to make you put more money in your pocket or maybe take a vacation if you're a family of four. So they, they've kind of thrown that out the window, and it's all about the revolution. And if the country, Tucker, is systemically racist, systemically. Well, what has to happen to the system? The system yeah. has to come down. I mean, the court? I mean, I'm half expecting that when you, when you see stuff going on in D.C. over the weekend in New York, you know, you're wondering if the building's going to stand at the end of all of this. And, and Schumer and Pelosi, they made a decision to ride the wave of AOC and the rest of the squad they hope to victory in November, and if not, then I think all bets are off as to what they're going to try to do to the country. But I think they've given up on trying to persuade us that they're going to raise your wages higher than Trump did in 2019, which was a record, by the way, which nobody wants to talk about. Well, I mean, they're opposed to seeing a conservative sit on the court. I understand that. Mm -hmm. I was opposed to Bill Clinton nominating Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Didn't burn anything, didn't try to prevent the vote from taking place. We can see where this is going. This is moving toward violence. Why shouldn't yeah. Republicans, and they don't, why don't they call this out, out loud, on the floor of the Senate, in the House of Representatives, from the White House, and say, please, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Sandy Cortez, call off your voters. Stop this now. 
Yeah, I think they've kind of given up, too, in a way, on, on calling it out to that extent, because I think they, they know in the heart of hearts, Tucker, it's not going to work. I mean, they, they go on shows and they talk about the danger of all this. But, again, everyone has to understand who's watching this tonight. Our entire system of checks and balances, the separation of powers, you know, I clerked up there in 1992 and 93, so I'm very familiar with how, how the court, court operates. That entire system is up for grabs because they will die on the hill of abortion. I mean, this is, this is about Roe versus Wade. That's right. really what this is about. And then the deeper problem is America is a horrible, awful, racist country. And since it is, everyone who's living has to pay in some way, shape, or form, unless you're one of the elites. Uh, Tucker, you know, those people, they never, the rules never apply to them. Or you're one of the uh, oppressed or aggrieved, and then you'll get some crumbs from the government. But it's about abortion, reparations, and May I ask you one quick question, though? Yeah. A little bit off topic, but it's a sincere question. Why abortion? Of all, of all the issues. I mean, there's so many things going on in this country that need to be improved, so many hurting people. Why is it this specific issue that convinces Democrats we will actually torch the Capitol if we don't get it? Why this? Well, I think as Robert Bork said all those years ago, that was really the turning point in some ways of, of, of the turn to judicial activism, uh, more so than getting rid of the concept of judicial restraint. That's when the court just made it up. They, in the uh, due process clause of the 14th Amendment, right. they read this right to abort into the Constitution. And it, it, I mean, it was just made up. And there, a lot of states outlawed abortion, but not all of them. So they wanted to take that issue off the table. And I think they realize it's like that old game Kerplunk. If you pull that, if you pull that little stick out of the game, the yeah. whole the bunch of marbles come falling down. And for them, that's really it for their whole judicial philosophy. And they want to take power away from the people. They don't want the they don't want the people in Nebraska being ruled by their own morals. They want the morality of New York to right. supersede the morality of the rest of the country. If they don't have the power of life and death, then they're not God, and they can't face that. Precisely. Lauren, thank you for coming on tonight. Great to Great see to you. Great to see you. Well, at least two senators on the Republican side, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Susan Collins of Maine, have announced that they would prefer not to vote on a replacement for Ruth Bader Ginsburg until after the election. Meantime, Democrats united in opposing, of course, as they always are, whomever the president selects. Nancy Pelosi has even said impeachment's on the table, as we just told you. In an interview on Sunday, she didn't rule that out, impeaching the president and the attorney general, as a way to delay the Supreme Court nomination process. Matt Gates is the author of a brand new book. He's a member of Congress, of course, from Florida. And the book is called Firebrand, Dispatches from the Front Lines of the MAGA Revolution, packed with all kinds of pretty amazing revelations. He joins us tonight. Congressman, thanks so much for coming on. So you have at least two Republican senators, you're a Republican office holder, so I'm interested in your view. How should Republicans respond to two sitting Republican senators saying we're not voting, period, even before we know the nominee? Well, there is no fervent wish provision of the Constitution. And the argument that Democrats, socialists, and apparently Collins and Murkowski are making is that somehow, like in the fourth quarter of a basketball game, everyone should just take a pause to determine who's going to be the coach next season. This is actually pretty simple, Tucker. We, the Republicans, have the power, and we ought to use it. 
Is there any doubt if Democrats and socialists and the woke-topians controlled the presidency and the Senate, what they would do? They would be forcing us to accept some blue-haired, genderless warlord from the Chaz to be the next Supreme Court justice. But here we have Murkowski and Collins rejecting the duties that they have as senators. And if they do that, their voters should reject them. Trump supporters should not be taken for granted in Maine, Alaska, or anywhere else. And if they are unwilling to do their job and take a vote, on who the president nominates, they should not have the privilege of continuing to serve in the Senate. Democrats will stand up and tell you with a straight face, proud of it, that men can get pregnant. They're not embarrassed of anything they say they believe. Republicans, some of them, many of them, appear to be deeply embarrassed of their purported deepest beliefs. Why is that? You, you work there. Any insight? Yeah, it's a shame that Republicans don't at times fight with the same vigor of Democrats. But remember, Mitch McConnell views his entire legacy as the Senate leader as tied to the judiciary. He literally wrote a book about it. And if he is unable to deliver this result for the president, one has to ask, what is the utility of Mitch McConnell? I mean, we put up with the things about Mitch McConnell we don't like, like his unwillingness to fight for the wall, his willingness to impoverish towns in America with these trade deals for uh, global organizations. And we do it all because he is supposed to be a stud on judges. And so it's time to end the hand-wringing and the bedwetting. Mitch McConnell should put pressure on fellow senators. They should lose funding for their campaigns. They should lose committee assignments if they are unwilling to fulfill their duty. Look, we have to confront our duties as public officials. One such duty is to advise and consent. And Susan Collins herself said that the Senate should have taken a vote on Merritt Garland. So the Susan Collins of 2020 should certainly agree with the Susan Collins of 2016 that they should be taking an up or down vote. Interesting. Nice point. Congressman Gates, congrats on the book, by the way. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tucker. Hey, I wrote in there how you and I stopped war with Iran a few times. People should check it out. (laughs) I'm not taking credit. Great to see you, though. Thank you. Welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast with Tony Reed. Whoever President Trump nominates would move the court firmly to the right, making it solidly conservative. One of the leading contenders clearly opposes abortion rights. Administration officials say the frontrunner is Judge Amy Coney Barrett. President Trump put her on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals based in Chicago three years ago. She's a former Notre Dame law professor and devout Catholic. In a 2003 Law Review article, she questioned the reluctance of federal courts to overturn precedents. Defenders of the Roe v. Wade abortion ruling cite decades of reliance on precedent as a reason to keep it. At her appeals court confirmation hearing in 2017, a Democratic senator said every religion has its dogma, but the law is different. The conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern. A devout Catholic, she's a favorite among religious conservatives. During her confirmation hearing to serve on the federal bench in 2017, she was pressed on her stance on Roe v. Wade. The dogma lives loudly within you. Seven children, devout Catholic, she would energize uh, anti-abortion activists and the religious right. The 48-year-old Barrett is a favorite of religious conservatives for her anti-abortion views. Tonight, we're here at the Supreme Court, 
President Trump says he'll name his nominee by the end of the week as the nation remembers Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Tributes pour in for the liberal icon, as the president says he wants his pick confirmed before Election Day on November 3rd. Tonight, the two women who are frontrunners and how they could cement conservative control of the nation's highest court for a generation. The Republican leader of the Senate says he'll confirm the president's choice by the end of the year. And Democrats are vowing to stop that, arguing voters should pick the next president who will then fill the seat. Not since Abraham Lincoln has there been a Supreme Court vacancy so close to an election. And what happens in the coming weeks will have sweeping consequences for the court and the country, possibly cementing a conservative majority for decades. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death gives the president the chance to nominate his third Supreme Court justice, which could make it a 6-3 conservative majority ahead of November 3rd, and one that would shape the court for decades. Mr. Trump said he plans to meet with some of the candidates before making a choice. Five women are being looked at and vetted very carefully. CBS News has learned U.S. Court of Appeals Judge Amy Coney Barrett, who was at the White House today, and Judge Barbara Lagoa are the top two contenders. 48-year-old Barrett is a mother of seven who has won over religious conservatives for having anti-abortion views. I see no conflict between having a sincerely held faith and duties as a judge. The looming fight could alter the court's balance of power and dictate the fate of the Affordable Care Act and abortion rights. For hundreds of millions of Americans, this vacancy on the Supreme Court puts everything, everything, on the line. And that nomination battle will now be a central issue on the campaign trail, with both sides using the possibility of a court dominated by conservatives in their appeal to a crucial voting bloc, suburban women. For Democratic women, there are a range of critical issues that could come before the Supreme Court. Women's rights, LBGTQ rights, um, Black Lives Matter, they're all on the line. And with the justices set to hear the latest legal challenge to the Affordable Care Act a week after the election, it's an especially urgent concern, as Biden said Sunday. Donald Trump is before the Supreme Court trying to strip health care coverage away from tens of millions of families. George, this is earth-shaking news. Yeah, as earth-shaking as it gets, Byron, 8, 9, 10 on the Richter scale. Will he be able to force through a replacement for Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the less than seven weeks that remain until Election Day in the lame duck session that comes after that. And the idea of Donald Trump replacing the liberal core of the court with another justice like Kavanaugh or Gorsuch would would, would tilt the, uh, the, the court decisively, perhaps for a generation, uh, to, to the right. And this is something that... Um, it, 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 it will, Democrats will fight and fight and fight, uh, you know, with everything they have over the next uh, 46 days. Trying to fill this seat, of course, is a uh, potentially risky move for, for Trump and for Republicans. Um, a lot of eyes now are on moderate Republicans, a handful of critical moderate Republicans, several incumbents who are in tight races. Uh, could they potentially be swayed? to try and uh, oppose a rush to fill this seat. It, of course, just takes four votes to flip this, uh, to try and block whoever the president puts forward. I think there is no question that if 
President Trump is successful in getting a replacement confirmed, Roe versus Wade will be overturned in the very near future. As we saw with Brett Kavanaugh, sometimes the unexpected does occur in a confirmation process. Um, And of course, Christine Blasey Ford coming forward nearly derailed his confirmation process. So there's a degree of uncertainty to keep your eye not only on President Trump, not only on former Vice President Joe Biden, but on several key senators. Look at Susan Collins of Maine, Jody Ernst of Iowa, Cory Gardner of Colorado, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Tom Tillis of North Carolina, even Lindsey Graham, the chairman of the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee from South Carolina. The decisions those senators make in these coming days and weeks will determine the course of the Supreme Court, perhaps the course of the country, for another generation. I honestly think, because I've been talking about this all weekend, that Kavanaugh really changed the game for a lot of Republicans, myself included. I was completely radicalized by the experience of watching him testify. I mean, there were accusations of him being someone who had been part of a, a gang, rape gang, and, and accusations that were completely baseless. And it showed that Democrats on their side will do anything and everything to smear any conservative. Amy Coney Barrett is a hardcore Catholic, among <laughs> other things. She has seven children. I completely expect her to be, if she is the nominee, to be slandered and maimed in a way we've never seen before. And I don't think that's what anyone wants. My last final point that I wanted to say is this turns the election back into battleground core meat and potatoes issues. And if you're pro-life like I am and 47 percent of the country is, it becomes a reason for you to support President Trump. You have people on the left that are screaming that they're going to pack the courts and create violence. And you're going to see chaos that we've never seen if Mitch McConnell does this. Everyone is behaving badly across the board. And the deep politicizing that happened right after she passed is true. And while you're correct, that uh, the majority of Americans are against repealing Roe versus Wade. The 47% of Americans are pro-life, Joy. And every time I talk about it on this show, someone acts and, and, and it's received as if it's this, it's this vast minority in the country. It's not. I'm telling you, for people that are pro-life, not never-Trumpers who got rid of their policies and every principle they ever had, for people like me, it is a meat and potatoes issue, much like guns. I'm saying, it will get people out. Period. Well, well one thing, though, okay. that just... Can so, I just refer majority. to... Majority. Without, without slandering that some of the names we're seeing judge amy coney barrett said something that should scare all of us this part is where i get angry because this woman has eight kids two of them are from haiti one of them is mentally retarded she is a good person but they've already started a kavanaugh before he even said it they started kavanaugh Washington Post, Connie Barrett, potential Supreme Court nominee, wrote influential ruling on campus sexual assault. A leading contender for Supreme Court seat held by Ginsburg wrote an influential appellate decision last year that made it easier for students accused of sexual assault to challenge university handling their cases. Barrett led a three-woman panel of judges that said Purdue University may have discriminated against a male student accused of sexual assault when it suspended him for a year, a punishment that cost him a spot in the Navy ROTC program. It's plausible that the officials chose to believe Jane because she's a woman and to disbelieve John because he's a man. The entire world. Pretty sure that most people consider the Supreme Court have written something legally influential. It's kind of how they get the job. Other. Thus, it begins. The onslaught of character assassination, and she's been named yet. I bet if Trump appointed Blakey four Democrats would be, able, would be able to offer up her lies on Kavanaugh. You wonder why they think the fake news media is fake news media. Apparently, due process is now considered controversial as stated act blue got 70 million dollars so for them 
this is money. So the left is going to automatically do it, and the and the, the freaking media is going to help them because the media is part of the left. So they just offer up any fucking thing they can get their hands on to bash this lady, a good person, a very good person. Newsweek, well, guess what? Handmaid's Tale, U.S. Supreme Court candidates, religious community, under scrutiny. Isn't Reuters supposed to be one of the less biased ones? I'm embarrassed for you. It was a Newsweek article that stated that she, well, let me try to get to come up. How charismatic Catholic group like Amy Conley Barrett's People of Praise inspired the Handmaid's Tale. Now, just to cliff note this, it's based on this Atwood saw an article about a group, all right, People of Praise is a group Barrett's part of, and it influenced her to write this dystopian thing where women are vessels to make babies. They put the article out. And within one day, they did this. Correction. This article headline originally stated that People of Praise inspired Handmaid's Tale. The book's author, Margaret Atwood, has never specifically mentioned the group as being the inspiration for her work. A New Yorker profile, the author from 2017, mentioned a newspaper clipping as part of her research for the book. That group was People of Hope. Newsweek regrets the error. So, it's not even her group. It's not even factual. Atwood never said that was the reason why she did it. But it's a full article that went out through all the hateful media. CNN, MSNBC, everybody carried that this Conley Barrett is the inspiration for Handmaid's Tale because it's just like Nancy Pelosi says. You feed a story to the media, the media carries it, it's now fact. That's how they did Russia. It's the most disgusting thing I've ever fucking seen. You knew it was a lie. So what did they do? They went back and changed the title. It's still standing. You can go to Newsweek and see this article. That's a fucking lie. It's not factual. It's not what the author said. It's not even the group this lady's part of, but it's the belittling of Catholicism. You heard it in the sound bites. That's why I play them. I know they're long. Going after a religion. If she was Muslim, maybe that'd be the first time we'd hear the media go after Muslims. It probably would be. You know, it'd take Trump nominating somebody for it to become a bad religion. It's just fucking sick. I mean, I can play you flashbacks right now of all the things Obama Co. said. But I'll save it for the next podcast because we're long. That's why I pulled the Emmys off. That'll be a next podcast. I mean, these fucking people are supposed to be journalists. Peter J. Hassan. New York Times writer calls Lindsey Graham, Lady G, spreading an ugly smear that he's a homophobe, he's a homosexual. 
Wajit wears a mask. This Wajit Ali. Harrison James and Lady G are tied in South Carolina right now. You can help remove Trump's bootlicking stain known as Lizzie Graham. This is doable, people. Use your anger to donate, mobilize, and vote. Get Mitch or die trying. That's actually a sight. Comfortably smug. It's not homophobic when we do it. No, no, it's not. I AOC was so angry, she went after Feinstein because she wants to, uh, on any filibuster expanding SCOTUS. I don't believe it's doing that. I think the filibuster serves a purpose. It's not often used. It's often less used now than when I first came. I think it's part of the Senate, and it differentiates itself from the House. Oh, God, they went after her. AOC was the fuck attacking that ass. I mean, it. it's just out of fucking control. These people are out of control. All of them. This week, to show you how to, out of control the media is, the Atlantic Senate filibuster, a monument to white supremacy, was a fucking article. Because they don't want an opposition party. They don't want anybody to have an opinion but them. They will project, they will lie, they will steal an election. They will do whatever they can. And once they get that control, they will then manipulate. Nobody's changed the Senate except for Democrats. That's how they got the ACA, folks. And then the Republicans, like dumbasses, went back to normal business because they got pressured by the media and the Democrats to go back to normal business so that the minority party could have something to say. But now, no, 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 no. They've changed their mind. The minority party is the entire Republican Party who has two fucking facets of the power of Washington in their hands. But they're somehow the minority party because we no longer talk about electoral college. We talk about popular vote. And then you wonder why we have violence. Because of all this stupid shit, it goes right into our violent left. Two people on TV listen to these sound bites. While the media calls it peaceful, we call it the violent left. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protest is supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick them. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. So even if you lost, he insulted you, right? Yes. He came down the escalator and thought Mexicans rape us and murder. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. Okay. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. The country is white men, most of them radicalized, right up to the right. 
All punches are not equal morally. And please show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. No matter what happens, everybody sticks. We're going to have teeth. to blow up the entire system. And you know what we're going to have to do? No, I don't know. You know that. what we're going? Yes, yeah. we're going to have to do. You just got to honestly, from what your closing argument is, you're going to have to get rid of the electoral college. Because the people... I don't see it. Uh, because the, the minority in this country decides who the judges are and they decide who the president is. is well, you that, need a constitutional amendment to do that. And if Democrats, if Joe Biden wins, Democrats can stack the courts and they can do that amendment and they can get it passed. Well, you that's need two-thirds vote in the Congress and three-quarters of the state legislature. They may be able to do that. Maybe. A few of the things he said when he talks about, like, Black Lives Matter, 93% of the protests are peaceful. The vast, overwhelming majority are peaceful. And by the way, the 7% that are not, they have a very broad definition of what's not quote-unquote peaceful. For example, if you block traffic or something like that, or if you respond to police provocation. And even then, a big percentage of that, which we, that, that wasn't peaceful, is actually outside agitators, extremist right-wing agitators, posing as protesters in order to make the protests look bad. That's the first thing. When he talks about the... That Max Kellerman clip is just unfucking believable that's a sports channel that's a sports channel with no proof whatsoever he just rolls out that yeah yeah uh there's just some uh, right-wing agitators there's no proof of that nobody nobody has any proof nobody's shown it the New York Times tried and they pulled off because it's not true. And of course, nobody pushes back. They're all liberals. And when a person goes on CNN, the most trusted name in news, and literally says, blow up the whole system. Sweet God. Glenn Kessler, the fact checker of WAPO. Supreme Court fight highlights a new political reality. America under minority rule. David Harris say, they hate the Constitution. Simple as that. It's not minority rule to restrain the federal government from lording over decisions of the state. What is minority rule? The duly elected president and the duly elected Senate are Republican. The duly elected House after jerry-rigging, is fucking Democrat. How is that minority rule? But that's the fact checker. That's the guy that's supposed to be the straight-up newsman. And I put it in the violence, because that's how you get people screaming in the car as we started, and this moon bat losing her shit. That's how you get the following story. Professor suspended for telling students she hopes Trump supporters catch coronavirus and die. 
side-by-side with knife-wielding man punches elderly Trump supporter at MAGA rally on September 18th, and it wasn't even national news. So wearing a mask is serious. Um, And I'm kind of, you know, like a certain person is holding rallies. You know, I think yesterday he held one inside. No one wore a mask. And I've become the type of person where I hope they all get hit and die. I'm sorry, but that I am so frustrated and just... I don't know what else to do. I, you can't argue with them. You can't talk sense into them. Um, I, I said to somebody yesterday, I hope they all die before the election. Um, that's the only, that's the only saving hope I have right now. Um, definitely bootlickers. Anyhow. Okay. I'm going to stop um, talking about Uh, politics because i i really should not be talking politics in here the media has been so dangerous with their rhetoric on behest of the democratic party and the democratic party has been so violent telling people to punch people get in their face you have articles like this i'm a i'm married to a trump supporter i'm serious that if he doesn't come around and vote for biden harris i will not stay around I married him before Trump was elected. I voted for Hillary. It's been a rough four years. Beverly M. She goes by at Bev Ann, Texas. Then an actual article. Today I gave my dad a choice, Trump or his grandkids and his son. Felt the need to let him know what the stakes really were. Edit. This article is designed to invoke strong emotions to go viral. To see how I designed it to go viral, click here. To learn why I shouldn't have, click here. I wrote earlier about trying to express my reason to my dad in a calm and intellectual manner. I actually thought I had been calm and well-reasoned. I thought it might even be making progress. Today I found out he put a Trump sign in his yard. I got pissed, really pissed. And I sent him and my mom a text message. Handshaking, tears in my eyes. This is what it said. Do the signs in the yard. The kids and I will not be down. The current occupant of the White House is preaching hate and violence, endangering lives, safety of many of my friends. This is not acceptable to me at all. There is a complete disregard for women, minorities, science, ethics, and morality. Please consider if you support Trump that much, because I hate him that much. I wanted to be upfront and honest about my feelings. And then I went for a walk to calm down. And the more I thought about it, the more I agreed with the message. At this point, it is not acceptable to me. You can vote for whom you wish. But I can choose who I surround myself with. I love my dad, but I can't be around him until he understands how vital I believe this election to be and what is truly at stake. It's not easy, but it was necessary now to see what fallout occurs. That's the A part of what the media and the left has done. Ruined families and elections because they've fear-mongered so much and the way they treat people in social media... You're a pariah if you don't think like us, and we ruin your life. And then the B part. Antifa mistakenly attacks an anti-Trump protester, calling him a Nazi, destroys his car while he tries to escape after he tried to assault content creator Real James Clug with a bar. A dog is in the back, clearly terrified, and barks as Black Block smashes his windows. Please leave. 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 Please leave.
See you, Guardian. All of them Biden protesters. And why? Because somebody thought a Proud Boy demonstration was going to be there. So they just went there. And then when there's nobody there, they just trashed people's shit. Just, just because. It's what they do. Matt Walsh. BLM, what we believe page, calling for the destruction of nuclear family, among other radical left-wing agendas, has been deleted. Everybody reposted. We're expansive. We're collective liberators. We affirm the lives of black, queer, and trans. We're working for a world where black lives no longer are systematically targeted for demise. We affirm our humanity. Uh, what's the other thing? Black lives may have called to action, engaged the death of Trayvon Martin Ferguson. We make space for transgender. We are self-reflexive. We build a space that affirms black women. We practice empathy. We make our space family-friendly and enable parents to fully participate with their children. We dismantle the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts so they can mother in private. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages. It's all there. All of it. But they took it down. Because a lot of black people don't want to be part of it. Uh, it goes on forever. We've already covered it all. Black Lives co-founder teams up with Chinese advocacy group. Black Lives Matter activists wearing Justice Breon Taylor walked into a bar, murdered three people. The shooter was wearing a Justice Breon Taylor. Naturally, national media has completely ignored the story, which certainly would not have been the case if the mass shooter had been wearing a Trump shirt. Joe Bishop. Let me set the record straight. Last night, a deranged or drugged up person walked up to my patio at Bungalow Joe's, walked over to a group of my regulars and employees who were enjoying themselves and shot three people point blank. There was no motivation, no altercation, no fight. He indiscriminately shot and killed three people for no reason. Oh, they're white. But this guy doesn't want to say that because it's social media. I had many of my employees and customers sitting there that are now forever traumatized. I lost a good friend and my manager lost the man she was going to marry. The two other customers were extremely well liked by all my staff. Please say a prayer for their families. Not national news because he's a Black Lives Matter guy. Once again, if it was a mega hat wearing motherfucker, front page news. Oh, use. And to this day, have you heard anything else about this child brought to you by Matt and Oregon? Good morning, TikTok. By now, everybody knows the face of this beautiful little boy, five years old, shot in the back of the head by a black man while this little boy was riding his bike on his lawn. Uh, media outrage? Where is it? That's what I want to know. Where is it? Oh, yeah, that's right. Cannon was white. George Floyd was black. That's the difference. It doesn't fit the fucking narrative. So you tell me, 
Where are the celebrities reaching out to pay for Cannon's funeral or reaching out to pay for his siblings' college? Where's his golden casket being carried by horses? And where's his three fucking funerals? Where? Where? Why does it matter? He was five years old and shot for no fucking reason. George Floyd was black and a fucking criminal and breaking the law. And he gets the golden fucking treatment. Fuck you, media. That was a web-only story. But this was national, this following story. We're literally running for our lives. It looked like Afghanistan. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. D.C. BLM activist describes a non-violent suppression of a riot. Gorgia. Been to combat three times. She's fucking clueless. It, it was almost insulting to, for them to allow us to march on Washington and then for them the next day for us to be on Black Lives Matter Plaza and they are shooting us with rubber bullets and throwing tear gas at us. We literally were running for our whole entire lives. Like, we had no other choices. I literally had to, like, kind of hit a corner mm-hmm. and just just keep it moving because they were literally coming after us like we were enemies of the state almost. Like, it was crazy. Like... I, we didn't even have no real reason to be shot at, to be tear gassed, anything like that. Did things get loud? Did people get aggressive? Did we have a lot of out-of-town people feeling some type of way? You know, out here feeling like they their voices needed to be heard? Yes, but the way the police reacted was completely reactionary. It was completely unprofessional. And they're not trained to deal with people like us at the end of the day on the front lines. They're not trained to be out here for 100 days straight. They're not. And it's not fair for their supervisors to keep allowing them to come out there. And it's not fair for us to keep having to deal with their untrained tactics. It's not okay. That's why people keep dying. So it was it was literally a war zone. Like you said, go back and watch Chuck's video. It was a fucking war zone. It was crazy. You, it looked like something you would have saw in Afghanistan somewhere. It was so crazy. And that was just civilians trying to do their due diligence, trying to do their First Amendment rights. And that was just utterly disrespectful and it was crazy it was literally crazy it was the craziest thing i've ever seen in my life and i probably will tell my kids about it i've never seen anything like that ever again i hope i never have to but if i have to it is what it is because we're not yeah that was on cnn i saw it and because they do all this to scare people well of course they louisville is a war zone national guards being deployed they're waiting for the breon taylor which is probably not going to go the way they want it because now we just expect the left to burn shit and beat people. A funny one. Man sentenced after police find loaded gun in his buttocks. Got that from Matt in Oregon. It was a Titan 25 caliber pistol in his ass. He was a BLM protester. GoFundMe deletes black Trump supporters. Fundraiser for bulletproof vests. Anna Foss gets to stay. Twitter... Facebook let leftist post senator purported addresses for about four different ones, including Lindsey Graham, that will play a narrative today. And then, of course, you know, we, we don't want to actually cover the table side wokeness, but it's still happening. Media, they'll find our families, they'll 
find where we work and they'll come and right-wing media will make sure we don't protest anymore. So thank you very much for letting us know that you are indeed racist. I bet your dick is tiny to make up for those big-ass shoulders. Bye. They won't report it. But then they put on page 10, New York Times admits rioters are coming in residential neighborhoods. The crowd was, I won't say mostly white, I'll say it was almost extensively white crowd marching through whitest neighborhood in Portland shouting, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives are Magic. The marches in Portland increasingly moving to residential and largely white neighborhoods where demonstrators with bullhorns shout for people to come out of your house in the street and demonstrate their support. It went from a peaceful march calling out the names to all of a sudden, bang, how dare you fly the American flag? They say, take it down. They wouldn't leave. They said they're going to come back and burn the house down. More aggressive protests target ordinary people decline to demonstrate allegiance to the cause. Frustrated that little has changed. Say that sitting idly and watching a protest without participating nowadays is to show tacit support for racism. If you're going to act like a Manson family, don't be surprised if other people want it to end like a fight scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hard to imagine anything better for the Trump campaign than these protesters. There's ads on Fox. I taped Tucker. It's just a pack showing Biden's voters, Biden's America. This is what's going to happen. And it's true. It's not even, they keep on, I keep on seeing people, blue checks and, and people like Jake Ta- Tapper going, uh, yeah, that's not true or this is wrong or whatever the fuck. And I go, you no longer have a leg to stand on. You just don't have a leg to stand on. Because now they do it. The moment they don't get their way, they say, burn it down. It's a fucking media saying it. Burn down the whole system. Burn down the whole system. It's what you guys are saying. The actual article, some protest against police brutality take a more confrontational approach. September 21st. A march through a residential area in Portland this month. Protesters argue that not enough has changed quickly enough to prevent punish police misconduct. This was a huge article You'll never sleep tight. We do this every night, the protesters chanted. One white man stepped onto his patio, clapping and hollering in support. The group called him to join. He smiled and waved them on, still clapping. They began to chant that he was spineless. He looked worried, but the march moved along, and he went back in his house. And the tenor of this article in the New York Times is the protesters are right. If you're not participating, if you're not embracing unity, you're a piece of shit. Well, this is how far they've gone. Because it's just not BLM, it's COVID. Here's a vet getting attacked on a plane and a beautiful Biden female voter. You should have died in Afghanistan. Throw this up. Oh, did you hear? Telling me I should die over in Afghanistan? Hell yeah, lady. Say it again. Go ahead, say it again. Good. I got you. This is outrageous. Just told me I should die. I should have died in Afghanistan. Hell yeah. 
fucking liberal turd. This is all state-sponsored by the Democratic Party. The media approve it because they don't even report it. They don't think it's wrong. They never think it's wrong. Women's March planned for October protest. Trump filing Ginsburg Supreme Court seat or filling. That's what The Hill went with. Great article. We're glad they're coming. It's fucking fantastic. And then you get stories like this. This this is what just cracks me up. Each podcast we do one. Last time was Minnesota City Council. Alyssa Milano calls cops on teen shooting air gun at squirrels. Seven Venturna County Sheriff vehicles, K-9 unit, a police helicopter, and fire department unit descended on the Charmed Stars SoCal Sprawl Sunday morning, according to the Daily Mail. Milano, 47, and a talented agent husband, Dave Bogari, dialed 911 after hearing what they believed was gunshots on the property, according to the neighbors, who was not identified by name in the report. Couple probably told cops that the sound scared their dogs and that responding officers should look for a man in his 40s with a long rifle. It was kids. A girl shooting. But it was a bl- it was a man in a long rifle. And people try to fight back. Some people are slow learners. In typical Grady Judd fashion, the sheriff brought cue cards to the governor's press conference to help illustrate the difference between peaceful protesters and riots. And it sounded like this. I can tell you, folks, so that there's no misunderstanding today. This is a peaceful protest. This is a riot. We can tell the difference. The governor can tell the difference. Our law enforcement officers can tell a difference. In the event you didn't get that, let me show you something. This is a peaceful protest. This is looting. If you loot, the next thing you can try to steal is something off of your food tray at the county jail. Because you're going to jail. That's a guarantee. And we're going to enjoy taking you down there. Some people are slow learners. <laughs> this is peaceful protest. This is violence. It's not acceptable. I truly believe in our God-given right and our constitutional right to speak openly and freely to address our government. That's important. We listen every day. But I've also watched across this country when law enforcement officers who put their life on the line were told to stand down. It's fucking pathetic a sheriff has to do that. Think what it's like to be a cop right now. It's almost worse than being a Trump supporter or a gun owner or a Christian. I mean, fuck. I mean, do you ever think in your lifetime I'd be talking like this on a podcast? That we've gotten to this point where a political party and a media establishment of ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, and MSNBC literally root for violence. I mean, I was going to start the show today on a fucking op-ed, the election chaos and lawlessness. I mean, is it that much for the ratings that it's really important that this happens? I mean, literally think about it, my friends. 
I understand you don't like Trump. I understand you live in the bubble and you believe all the lies that that blacks are killed by cops and all the stupid shit that predicated this. I understand George Floyd looked horrible, but that's not how he died. We all know that. You know that. You report it's not true, but we're still burning shit down. Is there a day in your world and your life in a parallel universe that a Republican could sick white people on Americans for not thinking like Republicans? Because that's what's really happening. The majority are white chai latte sipping Fruit Loops. Did you ever think that would happen? Or will ever happen? I mean, there's part of me that hopes it happens. Because maybe that's what we have to do. Me and the wife talked about it. I know it's terrible to say it. Maybe it's time we go out and burn shit. Maybe it's our, our time to go push our narrative. And our narrative is pretty simple. You do you, I do me. You don't have to pray to God. You don't have to own a gun. You don't have to believe in a family. You don't have to believe property is your property. You don't have to believe anything. But I get to. If I believe that there's only two genders, that's the way it is. And when I look at real statistics that show me that blacks perpetrate the most crimes, blacks have been raised since birth to not trust the police, be aggravated, or just be fucking horrible to police. And they bring this shit on themselves for always having illegal guns on them, pointing the guns at the police, running because they have a fucking warrant. I mean, that's the thing about Live PD, when you took it off the air, and why it was taken off the air, is it disproved everything the race-hustling industry told you. And it went contrary to the 1619 lie. President Trump is now vowing to, quote, restore patriotic education to our schools. He announced that it will be done through a new executive order called the 1776 Commission. 1776 marking the year that the Declaration of Independence uh, was signed. Now, the president, speaking at the White House Conference on American History, rebuked efforts to reexamine U.S. history with a deeper focus on slavery and racism, calling it toxic propaganda and ideological poison. There is no better example than the New York Times, totally discredited 1619 project. This project rewrites American history to teach our children that we were founded on the principle of oppression, not freedom. The creator of the acclaimed New York Times 1619 Project is joining us again today, Nicole Hannah-Jones, a Pulitzer Prize winner and staff writer for the New York Times Magazine. Uh, it's great to see you again. And first off, this executive order, this uh, sort of speaks to a misconception that I know you have tried to address that is being propagated about what the 1619 Project is, that it is not an attempt to rewrite history about when this nation was founded. If the president had actually read the essays in this, what do you think would be an honest takeaway of what they're about? Well, yeah, the 1619 Project is really about um, 
giving us the history and the understanding uh, to see how slavery was foundational to America and the way that the legacy of slavery still permeates modern society. But of course we know that 1776 was the founding of this country. The project does not argue that 1776 was not the founding of the country. But what it does argue for is that we have largely uh, treated slavery as an asterisk to the American story, as marginal to the American story. And this project is trying to place uh, slavery at the center where we believe it belongs. Why do you think the president uh, and look, millions of people agree with him are so resistant to this examination of what slavery has meant to this nation, even when you look at present day and it's right before you, you can see the fallout from slavery very much today. Why is there this resistance? I mean, this is a very challenging history, of course. We are raised to believe that America was founded on these ideas of liberty and freedom. And so to have to grapple with the fact that we were also founded on slavery is very, it's very difficult. But that is the truth. And it's, you know, it's very ironic that uh, President Trump would be saying that he needs to vindicate true American history by actually attempting to cover it up. We have to be able to grapple with uh, both the good and the bad of this country. And American school children and American educators are able to understand a complex history about this country and its founding. And what do you think about there's actually some discussion of whether basically schools that are using the 1619 project, which is founded very much in fact, whether they could be penalized? Yes. Yeah, so, um The president doesn't actually have the ability to control what is taught in local school districts. Curriculums are um, decided on by local school boards and by the state. And there's actually a federal law against federal intervention into the way that um, local communities set their curricula. So we know that this is really Trump's effort to bring 1619 into the culture wars. He's clearly running on a nationalistic campaign that's trying to stoke racial divisions, and he sees this as a tool in that arsenal. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us to talk about this. Thank you so much. Coming up, why uh, race, as we know, has been such a charged topic in this country for so much of this year. This isn't the first time the president has addressed race. Give us a little more context about what was behind what the president was saying today. Well, Judy, as you noted, race has been a topic of conversation in this country for a long time, but especially this year. President Trump, as the 2020 election nears, has made race a core part of his strategy. Critics of the president say that he's made racial division a core part of his strategy. Supporters of the president say that he's made it something of of bringing together Americans um, while also not calling America racist. Today, what we heard from the president was more of him attacking Americans that are really looking at this country and saying, we need to really understand the legacy of slavery in a more robust way. The president in particular was making the case without evidence that there is a sort of historical movement afoot to distort American history and to indoctrinate American children and the next generation of Americans with an ideal, a liberal ideal that will benefit Democrats. He said that a lot of these people that he believes are out there are really using America's schools to push forward this idea that America is flawed and that we shouldn't 
respect our founders and respect historical figures. That, of course, is inaccurate. He put he took aim specifically at the 1619 Project. This is, of course, a Pulitzer Prize winning project that was founded and created by Nicole Hannah Jones. Um, she is someone who wants to look at America and say, look, there are founders in our country um, that we really need to understand in context, pointing out people like Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, people, of course, who are American heroes, but who are also owned slaves. Um, and as part of the 1619 Project, what we saw was really a robust telling of all of the different ways that slavery continues to touch our daily lives. And of course, the idea that there were hundreds and thousands of Americans, um, of black Americans who were kidnapped from the continent of Africa and brought brought to the United States and forced to work, raped and killed and pillaged in order for America to enrich itself and for white Americans in particular to benefit from that. Now, the president today was essentially making the case that this needs to change. He said that he is going to be signing an executive order and it's going to be a, a national commission on patriotic education. It's not clear exactly what that meant. Um, I've been talking to White House sources who say that the president cares about this, but essentially the 1619 Project is going into American schools and this based on facts. Judy, not on any sort of expectation or falsehoods. So you meet the president also today, as he has before criticized the protests for racial justice around the country. Give us a sense of what the message was there. Well, the president was saying that this historical movement um, to, to distort American ideals, which again, I, I, there is no evidence of this movement, that it has led to the protests that we've seen all over this country. It goes without saying we covered it a million times. It's made up. But here's Nicole Hannah. uh, uh, Epic Thread takes Nicole Hannah James apart for claiming she never meant 1619 was our true founding. Phil Magnus, the 1619 Project creator, is now claiming that the text they deleted from the website was not part of the official project. It was only promotional material. Let's take a closer look. Again, it's not my official text. It's not any essay or in print. It was one digital description used in promotional material that we took down nine or ten months ago. People see what they want, and it's not factual. The deleted text was a passage on the header of the 1619 Project website from August of last year that claimed that the year 1619 rather than 1776 was our true founding. The 1619 Project is a major initiative by the New York Times observing the 400th anniversary of the beginning of the American slavery. It aims to reframe the country's history understanding 1619 as our true founding it's a print screen this passage had clear and explicit support from project creator jones how do we know because she tweeted the same thing the week that the 1619 project came out august 2019 her tweet august 21st 2019 5 42 p.m i argue that 1619 is our true founding also look at the banner pic and my profile Hannah Jones also gave an interview to PBS News on 8-19-2019 to coincide with the launch. The interviewer specifically quoted the line, understanding our 1619 is our true founding, in her opening question. The now-deleted passage is one of the most widely discussed lines of 1619 Project in the first several weeks of coverage. Here's the Daily Cost, a left-wing website promoting it. The 400th anniversary of the real founding of America. Here's a Byron York and the Washington Examiner criticizing the same now-deleted line on 8-17-2019. New goal for New York Times, reframe American history. And here's an editorial by Gingrich on 8-23. Same thing. It also came under fire and left 
on the left, including the World Socialist website, which did a lot of early heavy lifting to point out factual errors in the 1619 Project. The project, according to Times, intends to reframe the country's history, understanding 1619 as the true founding. In case it isn't already clear then, the deleted line about the New York Times' intent to reframe the country's history, understanding 1619 as our true founding, was at the center of the initial wave of criticism in August of September of 2019. Initially, the New York Times is unfazed by the controversy about the Pacific line. In fact, they embraced it. That's why Jones said herself at the University of Michigan, one does not create a project in the New York Times that says we are going to reframe American history, that our true founding is 1619, 19, nine, not ni- 1776, that black people are the perfectors of democracy, and that we are much the founders' fathers as the white men who worship in our history books and not expect you are going to get a lot of pushback. Hannah Jones also used a variation of the contested line in an interview on 117 2020 reframing of this idea that 1619 is our true founding. At the time of these speeches and interviews, the controversy about the now-deleted line was still at the center of the 1619 Project debate. Conquer 64 wrote an entire piece for Atlantic about the issue, focusing on that fact. Sometime between January and the present, however, Jones began changing her tune. She deleted her Twitter feed yesterday, so it's impossible to pinpoint when exactly. But by July, she was already walking back the claim. Ben Shapiro, the 1619 Project original, called 1619 our true founding, stating on the fourth anniversary, blah, blah, blah. So now it wasn't meant as sort of a balance or corrective to whitewash history. The goal of the 1619 Project is to reframe American history by considering that it would mean to regard 1619 as our national birth, she tweets. Actually, no. It asks us to consider what it means to regard 1619 as true founding. It doesn't argue the obvious reason that 1619 is our true founding, which we've already proved is not. Meanwhile, the New York Times quietly edited out the offending line from its website as it showed in my piece this morning. The edit appears to have started sometime in late December, but only came to light after Hannah Jones backed away from it. As of now, the New York Times has yet to formally acknowledge the edits are awful in an explanation, but the record is clear. Hannah Jones was aware of the now-deleted line and embraced it herself several times. It was also the center of the controversy from day one. And yes, they're really digging in on the false explanation that it was not an official part of the project. She just tweeted out this as well. These are her tweets. This is the last thing I will say about this. The wording in question was appearing in 1619 Project Tests. It appears nowhere in the point printed copy. Something easily verifiable. Andrew Sullivan, basic rule in online journalism. If you change something after publication, acknowledge and explain it because they didn't. It did appear at some point on some ancillary digital promotion. Further, as you know, we altered the promotional text nine to ten months ago and our own with no prompting or prodding. And that's a fucking lie it's a fucking lie it's always been a fucking lie it was a whole why the fuck would you call it the 1619 project if you weren't gonna be saying 1619 was the founding of our country why why would you do that I mean, do you think we're fucking morons? But the whole thing is because Trump started 1776. And so 
Here's an article on that. President Trump has made the mission of the Office of Management and Budget to root out training workshops based on critical race theory, white privilege. For taxpayer-funded government institutions like Treasury Department and the FBI, and you're still unsure what critical race theory is. Ibrahim X. Kendi, who has announced there's no such thing as not racist, and the phrase should be stripped from human vocabulary. John Sinclair Foley, who's the U.S. editor at Reuters, um, has taken a look at the order and found it bananas. The White House orders banning federal contractors from race and sex stereotyping is bananas. Takes the idea that white men are the real victims and basically makes it law. From their sight, it's a picture of a white woman looking at a black woman healing from internalized racism. Healing from internalized racism. What the fuck does that even mean? And then you have the Abraham X. Kendi. I put this in violence because this is where it's coming from. Actually, what I'm saying is we should eliminate the term not racist from human vocabulary. We're either being racist or anti-racist. Is that clear to you? There's no such thing as not racist. So what does not racist mean? The term has no meaning other than denying when one is being racist. We should not have the word in the dictionary. The dude wants to ban words. And somebody put out Barry Weiss. I went from sudden peaceful march. How dare you fly the American flag? Thomas Chatterson William. First, the lead photo looks 100% white. Second, always read Nellie Bowles. Demonstrators with bullhorns shout for people to come out of your house the street and demonstrate their support. And you can't make this up. Relevant to Kendi's tweets from yesterday about not racist needing to be eliminated from the human vocabulary. Look at the degree at which his thinking has shaped the way these activists justify their controversial tactics. Others frustrated that little has changed since Mr. Floyd was killed say that sitting idly and watching a protest without participating nowadays, it shows tacit support for racism. Thomas Chatterson some more. They can justify forcing out you out of your house or swarming you at dinner or on your front lawn just because you have a U.S. flag on it because the world being created is one in which you can simply be not racist. You must be actively anti-racist, exactly as they define it. Sure, this is fringe for now, but it's getting major play in the mainstream. It's pretty nuts. Full stop. It's not fringe. I just saw this on CNN, somebody said. Because that's the next thing. We are all, all are racist. By definition to the left. But now if you're not with them, you will pay. And that's the part about a Biden administration that scares people like me. Every time they don't get their way, they riot and burn. From the inauguration to the Women's March to the Million Man March to Portland being ruled under Antifa siege since the election to 130 days of burning shit to now protesting RGB to now if you're not protesting, you're the problem. It goes with everything they talk about. They ban words, they ban ideas, they want to ban the filibuster. It is a fascist society. 
that they are creating. And we'll see more of it in our narrative. For our music break, what are we going to listen to? Um, well, we'll play two sound bites. One by CBS. Make GOP look into their soul for the RGB replacement. And CNN's Avalon going off of climate deniers. Because you see every one of these liberal groups, when they're not being talked about, they get upset. Senators, um, Senator Schumer said over the weekend uh, that nothing is off the table if Republicans move to fill Justice Ginsburg's seat. Kaylee McEnany told us this morning there will be a nomination this week. What are Democrats prepared to do uh, to fight back? We could say that she certainly persisted and she was certainly beloved, it seems, on both sides of the aisle. But the truth of the matter is, to get back to Anthony's point for just a second, the numbers are against you. So are Democrats putting pressure on Republicans to look in their soul, as you say, to do, in your opinion, the right thing? Are you pressuring people, you and your, sure. your colleagues behind the scenes? And if We are in the midst of the most active hurricane season in the Atlantic in 15 years. And then all along the West Coast, millions of acres are on fire. President Trump still denies climate change. And John Avalon has our reality check. If you're still in denial about whether climate change is real, you ought to have your head examined. Or you might be President Trump. There are at least 87 wildfires burning across the western United States, consuming more than 4.7 million acres to date. Phoenix has seen a record 50 consecutive days over 110 degrees, while the skies over San Francisco have been choked with orange smoke, making it look like a dystopian sci-fi film. But it's all too real with the Northwest now containing three cities with the worst air quality on Earth. Which shows you why comments like this. I believe in clean air, immaculate air. Sure. I believe in clean water, all of those things. I am not a believer in climate change. Are dangerous nonsense. But of course, President Trump doubled down while visiting fire-ravaged California this week. It'll start getting cooler. I you wish just, you just watch. I wish science agreed with you. Okay, well, I don't think science knows, actually. Science does know, Mr. President. So does any sentient being. Right now, there are five tropical cyclones in the Atlantic at the same time. That's only happened once before in recorded history. There are two major glaciers breaking apart in Antarctica, one the size of Florida. Scientists warn it could lead to runaway ice melt, lifting sea levels as much as four feet. And this comes on the heels of a chunk of ice about twice the size of Manhattan breaking off Greenland. This is happening right here, right now. But President Trump doesn't have a plan because he does not believe in climate change. His administration censored official government reports and then withdrew us from the Paris Climate Accords. His administration has erased or obscured the term climate change from government websites, scrubbed it from a list of national security threats, and he's continued to appoint climate change deniers to senior scientific positions. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reid. Can't seem to 
media becomes part of one party, no longer have news, we have Let's take a look at what Jesse Waters was saying on Fox News last night, uh, one of the president's most reliable allies on the network. Here's, here's the level of the rhetoric that he was using to describe uh, this fight for RG, uh, RBG's seat. Mitch, don't overthink this. Push hard for a vote before the election, whip the vote and pull the trigger. We're dealing with bloodthirsty political killers on the left. Buck up and do your jobs, Republicans. Talk about authoritarian and creep. He's talking about Democrats as bloodthirsty political killers, David Zerwick. You know, I watched that, Brian, last night, and I thought, oh, my God, you know, this is going to be so ugly. We already had six weeks ahead of us that were going to be epic in terms of the battle between Biden and Trump, in terms of media, what they were going to do. Then you put this Supreme Court fight on top of it, um, and... And then you have the right-wing media. This isn't cheerleading. This is beyond rabble-rousing. This is waving the shirt and calling for blood. And I'll tell you what, Brian, we have to admit, we in the mainstream press have to admit that we are at a disadvantage in this. We were founded and we operate, CNN operates as a journalistic institution. We play by those rules. Fox News, as you so, you know, as you chronicle in your book so well, Fox News, Breitbart, Daily Caller, many of these right wing outlets were founded as political tools to aid an ideology and to aid candidates. If your goal is as a political out outlet to just simply win, you can lie. You can be just like Donald Trump. You can lie. You can smear. You can libel. You can slander. You can do all that. The goal is to win. We can't yes, do that. We have to think about that. Pardon? The rhetoric of war. It's the rhetoric of war. And unfortunately, there's a lot of it right now. Can you imagine having that much lack of self-awareness? I mean, that's some lack of self-awareness right there. You're basically saying you're not propaganda. When we have had nothing but propaganda for four fucking years. It is just shocking. And then you get a CNN reporter admits he'll fact check Trump more than Biden. Daniel Day. Look, there's just no equivalence. Biden makes some false and misleading claims. It's important to note them. We will. But his assertion of fact have been largely factual. Trump, as we saw at the town hall and see again tonight, has been increasingly and egregiously dishonest. One CNN article Dale wrote following the Trump town hall appearance in week allegedly found 22 falsehoods. So we're going to do some Biden fucking falsehoods. Listen to this sawed off shit. Play to gin up emotions and anger. 
There's a reason why no presidential candidate other than Donald Trump has ever done such a thing. First, putting a judge's name on a list like that could influence that person's decision-making as a judge, and that would be wrong. At least create the perception that it would influence. Second, anyone put on a list like that under these circumstances will be subject to unrelenting political attacks because any nominee I would select would not get a hearing until 2021 at the earliest. She would endure those attacks for months on end without being able to defend herself. And thirdly and finally, perhaps most importantly, if I win, I'll make my choice for the Supreme Court not based on a part, partisan election campaign, but on what prior presidents have done, Republican and Democrats, and I've served with many of them. Only after consulting Democrats and Republicans in the United States Senate and seeking their advice and asking for their consent. It says, advise and consent the Senate. The president is the person who gets to name someone, propose. The Senate disposes. As everyone knows, I made it clear that my first choice for the Supreme Court will make history as the first African-American woman justice. But I'll consult with senators in both parties about that pick, as well as the legal and civil leaders in our country. In the end, the choice will be mine and mine alone, but I will consult. It will be the product of a process that restores our finest traditions, not the extension of one that's torn this country apart the last years. So let me conclude with this. As I've said in this campaign, we're in the battle for the soul of this country. We face historic, we face historic crises, once-in-a-generation pandemic, a devastating economic recession, the rise of white supremacy that the FBI directors warned us against unseen since the 60s, and a reckoning on race that's long overdue, a challenging climate, a changing climate that is ravaging our nation and the world as we speak. Supreme Court decisions will touch every part of these crises, every part of our lives and our future. The last thing we need is to add a constitutional crisis that plunges us deeper into the abyss, deeper into the darkness. If we go down this path, I predict it will cause irreversible damage. The infection this president has unleashed on our democracy can be fatal. Enough. 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 We must come together as a nation. Democrats, Republicans, independents, liberals, conservatives, everybody. I'm not saying we have to agree in everything. But we have to reason our way through what ails us as citizens, voters, public servants, that's the guidebook called the Constitution. We have to act in good faith and mutual goodwill in the spirit of conciliation, not confrontation. 
This nation will continue to be inspired by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But we should not only be inspired by her, we should be guided by her. And by her willingness to listen to those with whom she disagreed. To respect other points of view. Famously, Justice Ginsburg got along well with some of the most conservative justices on the court. And she did it without compromising her principles, clouding her moral clarity, or losing her core principles. If she can do this, so can we. How we talk to one another matters. How we treat one another matters. Respecting others matters. Justice Ginsburg proved it's important to have a spine of steel but also important to have an open hand, not a clenched fist to those with whom we disagree. This nation needs to come together. I've said it many times in this election. We are the United States of America. There's nothing we cannot overcome. There's nothing we cannot do if we do it together. Donald Trump seems to want us to divide this nation between red states and blue states. Between representing those states that vote for him, ignoring those who don't. I do not. I cannot. I will not be that president. I'll be a president for the whole country. For those who vote for me and those who vote against me. We need to rise at this moment. For the sake of the country we love so dearly, indeed for its very soul. May God bless the United States of America. May God protect our troops. And may God bless Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Thank you so much. But they should be. It's estimated that 200 million people have died. Probably by the time I finish this talk. The complication of COVID-19, like lung scarring and heart damage, could become the next deniable pre-existing condition for over 6 million Americans. This is not the first time Biden has done this. It's just not the first time. He's been making up fucking stats forever. And while we're on it, Montgomery County, Maryland, as the COVID-19 pandemic counties continues, many of our neighbors are struggling with food insecurities. More than 500 people received boxes of fresh produce and meats on Saturday, the East County Community Recreation Center, thanks to our dedicated partners, Thomas James. Government inflicted insecurity so they can get their citizens used to Soviet-style struggle, serve the state well for extra ration of bread. If only there was something the local government could do to unprevent to prevent these bread lines because they still have their people locked down like it's day one. Then you have family in Kenosha, Wisconsin, just found out last night, late last night, that their public schools won't reopen because teachers wouldn't go to work. Then you have Mohammed Safa, heartbreaking six-year-old daughter, started school last week, got COVID-19 in school and just passed away, killed in seven days. 
This is heartbreaking. Some of you thought she, she's my daughter. She's not my daughter. She's everyone's daughter if schools reopen in a COVID-19 infected area. Joe Concha, more than 53,000 likes for a tweet speaking about a fictitious six-year-old daughter that doesn't actually exist. Mohammed, I have a six-year-old daughter. She's going back to school next week. It's shameful to conjure up something like this. Please delete. Tom Guerra, the classic old fake daughter death for clout play can be a tough move to ex- execute with the track critics. But you know, the saying in the game, the numbers are the numbers. CNN even ran with it. And it was all a fucking lie. And here is Nancy Pelosi saying she's so proud we block COVID relief so those people are in the breadline. And Camerata, once again, blaming Trump. And the Republicans have put forth an emaciated, as Chuck Schumer calls it, an emaciated bill. And I'm so proud that every Senate Democrat voted against it. This is the skinny uh, bill. This, it, it, the emaciated bill, yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> the skinny bill. I'll give it to you. And it, when people call it a skinny deal, I said, there's no such thing as a skinny deal. I mean, there's no other way to look at this other than as a national tragedy. And the president is having a rally as if it's not happening and telling his supporters that uh, they don't have to worry about it. And I think it's really um, it really encapsulates why we are where we are today, which is that this is a president who is flailing to convince the American public that he has this situation under control and not going to believe the president when he says we did an exceptional, fantastic job with the coronavirus. They know better because they're experiencing something that is completely different from that. Abby, one more political point on this. If President Trump were critiquing this of any other leader and his job of trying to control this virus, he would say he choked. He choked like a dog. Okay? Yeah. That would be President Trump's lingo. As Glenn Kessler, the guy who's a Democrat, said, there's no factual proof on any of this that anybody would die by the end of Trump, uh, uh, Biden speaking. It's all false. Then we got Biden again. Biden just straight up lied. It has been confirmed by every outlet that he referred to our military as losers and suckers. Then Biden trying to do the Pledge of Allegiance. So then the way he's spoken about many of you and the brave women and men who served in nation in uniform, those who have given their lives in service to this nation. It's been confirmed by every outlet that he referred to them as losers and suckers. That's what Trump calls those who served and made the ultimate sacrifice of America. I pledge allegiance to the United States of America. One nation. Indivisible. Under God. For real. I pledge allegiance to the United States of America. One nation. Indivisible. Under God. For real, man. For real. But yeah. He's not a blunder machine. We don't need to fact check that. I mean, he's had a lid at 9 o'clock for like seven days. They don't even let him speak anymore. Grandpa got to go take nap. And then let's talk about the biggest fact check. We're basing all this no justice, no peace, fucking slamming people's drinks at their table, beating people, telling them to take down their flag on Kaepernick. He started it. On hands up, don't shoot. A lie. But the NFL one has the biggest traction. 
It is the biggest platform. So, was there any fact checks on the following? Ten of NFL Week 1 starting QBs were black, a record that show ability is trumping antiquated notions. The next one, welcome to the year of the black quarterback. It's about Williams and the Benjamins. Revenge of the defense. Then came Vic. Where's Cap? But have you heard anybody come out and say, geez, 10 out of 32 teams are black. Majority of the players are black. They're all fucking millionaires. But they're standing out there saying, we have systemic racism that doesn't allow them to do anything. Oh, there's one. NFL social justice experiment is no touchdown. Going to read it. We covered a little bit of it, but I'm reading it. Pittsburgh Steeler offensive lineman Alejandro Villanueva stood near the tunnel of Pittsburgh locker room with his hand over his heart with Star Springle Banner played. The former Army Ranger was the only member of the team to do so. I propose at the moment the game against Chicago Bears being played at Soldier Field. Villanueva, Bronze Star recipient, said his decision was not intentional violation of Tomlin's order for every member to stay in the locker room until the anthem had concluded. It was a result of Villanueva asking team leaders to amend the original plan because of the text he received from a wounded veteran asking him to stand for the anthem. That was last year. This year, he wears somebody's name that's a real hero. Those fact checks go unreported. Other than Jamel Hill. It's all a lie. From the shooting deaths to everything, it's a lie. I could have played you from Tucker Carlson about Rittenhouse. God, there's video that shows what those fuckers are doing. Every one of the people shot was has sexually assaulted little kids. Everyone had a rap sheet. One of them, and the media know it but still are reporting it, is under an alias. Because his real name has 30 different offenses. They are the bad guys. But we don't fact check that. We don't fact check any of this shit. Because it doesn't fit the fucking narrative. None of it fits the narrative. We narrative just lefty stuff. Then you find articles like this. Confession of the secret suburban Trump mom, Pennsylvania. I will not be posting about my support for Donald Trump on my Facebook page, nor I'll be placing his campaign sign in my yard. Suburban women understood that one of the most crucial demographic groups of the presidential election on November 3rd. Many pollsters currently predict that President Trump will lose due to his unpopularity of the category of voters. But have the Democrats really reclaimed the suburbs, or are they more like Republican voters than the poll suggests? The Spectator tracked down a series of so-called closet Trump voters, women from the suburb who would never publicly voice their support for the president for fear of recrimination in their social circles. There are, these are their stories. Pennsylvania. 
as a white suburban mother of three who lives in the suburb of western Pennsylvania, I'm very aware that Trump is not perceived to be popular with women like me. I voted for him in 2016 despite being unimpressed with his rhetoric and unpolished nature. Of course, I'm concerns about his personal ethics, but decided to take the chance on the impressive people who he'd be surrounded with. Also, I wanted to avoid a Hillary Clinton presidency. Almost four years later, I'm basing my decision to vote on Trump based on his performance as president. Although at times the communication style annoys me, I choose instead to focus upon his accomplishments. Under Trump, I believe that our country is safer, more prosperous, internationally respected, and better aligned with my personal values. But my more typical outward vocal backing for Trump, and indeed most Republicans, has grown understated over the past years. I feel like bold support for the president often results in assumptions, accusations, and potential harm. Law and order are critical to me, as I have watched various Democratic leaders celebrating and endorsing riots and criminal behavior, all while blaming Trump for the chaos. I obviously do not support defunding the police, and I'm greatly concerned over that movement. There's a significant political divide in our nation. Sadly, neither party is being effective in unifying the country. But at the very least, Trump is working to maintain and enforce the law for all Americans while protecting our borders with fair and legal pathway to citizenship. If I were to tout this view publicly, I would be accused of racism. Trump's greatest accomplishment has been the robust growth of the economy, the lower unemployment rate, rapid job creation, the support for small businesses has been extremely impressive. Despite the negative effect of COVID shutdowns, I've been amazed at the economy, economic recovery that has surprised even his worst critics. My predominantly liberal co-workers and I have personally benefited from Tax Cuts and Job Act, yet I am unable to mention Trump's role in the policy without becoming the target of fiery retributions. Under Obama, I believe that America was turning down a harmful road with a lack of support of our military and the pathetic efforts to represent American interest abroad. Trump correction of Obama flaws, foreign policy, renegotiation of trade deals, and recent Middle East peace agreements are nothing short of miraculous and have a long-lasting positive impact on the world. As a result, the United States is more globally respected than we were four years ago. But I am perceived as selfish and privileged for endorsing an American first philosophy that benefits everyone. Most importantly, I'm thankful for Donald Trump's support of the sanctity of life with which I strongly align. Being the first sitting president to make a public address to the March for Life was a powerful statement, further enunciated by his actions of preventing the funding of abortion and appointing pro-life Supreme Court justice who will hopefully be able to advance the right to life cause. But what a disappointment I must be to my so-called feminist friends. How dare I, as a woman, oppose choice? My personal evaluation of Trump is not based on what he says or how he says it, but what, why he, but what he does. When he launches in his political career, he made it clear that his priority was to work for the American people, not for Washington. The fact that he is so despised by so many career politicians on both sides of the aisle demonstrates his obvious effectiveness. I will not be posting about my support for Trump on Facebook page, nor will I be placing campaign sign in my yard. Doing so could make me or my family a target. Might be my employer, which has made a public statement in support of Black Lives Matter. Would they be notified about my Trump support? Stating my position is not worth the risk, nor is debating my friends who have become so extreme in their stances that their only defense is to assure everyone with an opposing viewpoint as a racist. 
I will continue to educate myself with facts, quietly waiting for November 3rd, then cast my vote for Donald Trump. I doubt I'll even slap I voted sticker on my shirt as I leave the polls this time. I mean, why risk offending people with an expression of my constitutional right? That is huge. A great article by an uneducated voter because she has to be uneducated if she votes for Trump, right? That's what the media says. But it surmises what we all say. In my mind, the bravest people are not the skinny jeans latte motherfuckers out in the street burning shit. It is the person that's actually flying Trump stuff. It actually surprises the shit out of me. Because I don't have those balls. On the same line... This is something you never thought you'd see. It's an Amish Trump rally. And then I want to play something from a show. It's dated, but it's Last Man Standing. And I was watching repeats the other day, and it really struck home. Why is this not what we're teaching our kids? Do you want me to give you some notes before you send it in? Why, send it in? What do you mean? The faculty committee needs to approve it after they check for microaggressions. (laughs) Microaggressions? You mean like... Midget warriors. No, they're objectionable words or phrases. For instance, midget warriors. I know what microaggressions are. It's the latest liberal attack at free speech. And a lot of fun if you do them right. The university has a list of stuff they don't allow speakers to say, you know, to protect the students. From what, ideas? It's just the way that my school does things, Dad. Please, my grade is riding on this. Fine. All right. Just pretend like you introduced me to thunderous applause. Some lady faints in the front row. Ladies and gentlemen. Okay, stop. No, they'll pick her up. Come on, EMS. Get her out of here. No, uh, you can't say ladies and gentlemen because it excludes those who don't identify as either. 
Hmm. Those are the only two choices. No, not anymore. You just have to keep it gender neutral. Okay, please continue. Hey, everybody. America is the land of opportunity. I stand before you Stop. as... Stop. Okay, by saying that America is the land of opportunity, you are implying that everyone has the same opportunities. I'm not implying it. I'm saying it. If you live here and you work hard, you can succeed. That's uh, how this works. Yeah, that one's on here, too. It hurts the feelings of those who work hard and don't succeed. Yeah. Where's the list of stuff that doesn't hurt people's feelings? That's got to be a short one. You have no idea how seriously my school takes this stuff, Dad. And remember the greater good here. You're helping me scan my way to passing ethics. This list is insane. If I go by these rules, I'll be going against everything I believe in. I know, but just for 15 minutes. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. No, no, no. Can't call me Dad. What if I identify as Mom? Yeah, hey. In a sec, I want to run the rewrite of my speech by you. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to hear what the new PC Mike Baxter has to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds a lot like the old Mike Baxter, but drunk in a locker room. <laughs> but I'll tell you, Mandy's list was a good blueprint. You mean of what not to say? Oh, no, I got them all in there. So... <laughs> all right, uh, okay. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and all of you on the fence. Oh, God. <laughs> To quote future Nobel Prize winner Lee Greenwood, I'm proud to be an American. Not just because I have the right to speak my mind or carry an awesome gun, but because it's the land of opportunity. Some whiny babies might not think so, but in America, if you work hard, anyone can be successful. Anyone. 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 That goes on and on. I keep doing it. You cannot give that speech. You cannot. Cannot. It would cause Mandy a lot of trouble. With a thought police who have their panties in a bunch... And that's in there. Got that in there. The thought police are never going to approve that speech. You know who else would approve the speech they want me to give? Me. And God, who I'm also not allowed to mention, but I do. What is this place and why are we here? Well, I've been trying to tell you my story over and over again, but you're not listening. So I had no choice. All right. Whatever you're planning, Mom knows that I'm with you. Dad? Dad? I don't... I think you're allowed... Okay. Come on, Ann. Welcome to the first Rocky Mountain sub shop. This is where Mrs. Jamali started her sub sandwich empire. Wait, is that the Pakistani lady who yells in those commercials? She opened her store about the same time Ed and I opened the first outdoor man. So people ate food in this place? <laughs> she worked 14 hours a day to get this going, right? You think that made her a mean woman? You'd be right, because she's got quite a mouth on her. Okay. What's your point, Dad? Well, now, Mrs. Jamali's got 12 stores. I've got 20. And the only thing we have in common is our willingness to bust our ass and, of course, our basic distrust of Russians. That makes two of you. But the truth is, there's still plenty of people in this country who work hard and they don't succeed. Okay, I could change the words, but I can't change my message. I think in America, if you work hard, you will succeed because that's my story. And that's her story. That's millions of other people's stories. Now they won't let you tell it. I know. And it's a shame. Because I think you should worry less about who you might offend and care more about who you might inspire. Why do African-American athletes and stars play this? You can't. When clearly you can in our country. 
the stories we used to praise was not the mother with 14 baby daddies who's had 12 abortions in protest. It's the mother that went to night school and is now a fucking lawyer who's black, Latina. Because America is still a country where you can succeed. And I think on the same line of all this abuse by the left, I think this Lindsey Graham soundbite sums up why a lot of them probably are going to find their balls this time, that being Republicans, and push through a SCOTUS nominee. If you wanted an FBI investigation, you could have come to us. What you want to do is destroy this guy's life, hold this seat open, and hope you win in 2020. You've said that. Not me. You've got nothing to apologize for. When you see Sotomayor and Kagan, tell them that Lindsey said hello, because I voted for them. I would never do to them what you've done to this guy. This is the most unethical sham since I've been in politics. And if you really wanted to know the truth, you sure as hell wouldn't have done what you've done to this guy. Are you a gang rapist? No. I cannot imagine what you and your family have gone through. Boy, y'all want power. God, I hope you never get it. I hope the American people can see through this sham that you knew about it and you held it. You had no intention of protecting Dr. Ford. None. She's as much of a victim as you are. God, I hate to say it because these have been my friends. But let me tell you when it comes to this. You're looking for a fair process? You came to the wrong town at the wrong time, my friend. Do you consider this a job interview? The advice and consent role is like a job interview. You consider that you've been through a job interview. I've been through a process of advice and consent under the Constitution. Would you say you've been through hell? I've been through uh, hell and then some. This is not a job interview. Yeah. This is hell. This, this, this is going to destroy the ability of good people to come forward because of this crap. Your high school yearbook. You have interacted with professional women all your life, not one accusation. You're supposed to be Bill Cosby when you're a junior and senior in high school. And all of a sudden, you got over it. It's been my understanding that if you drug women and rape them for two years in high school, you probably don't stop. Here's my understanding. If you lived a good life, people would recognize it, like the American Bar Association has the gold standard. His integrity is absolutely unquestioned. He is the very circumspect in his personal conduct harbors no biases or prejudices, he's entirely ethical, is a really decent person, he is warm, friendly, unassuming, he's the nicest person, the ABA. The one thing I can tell you, you should be proud of, Ashley, you should be proud of this, that you raised a daughter who had the good character to pray for Dr. Ford. To my Republican colleagues, if you vote no, You're legitimizing the most despicable thing I have seen in my time in politics. You want this seat? 
I hope you never get it. I hope you're on the Supreme Court. That's exactly where you should be. And I hope that the American people will see through this charade. And I wish you well. And I intend to vote for you. And I hope everybody who's fair-minded will. Interesting how all the precedent was broken by them. Right? Now they're threatening what? Yeah, Stack I mean, the it, court? Right. It's pretty obvious they want an outcome. They'll destroy anybody's life to keep these seats open. They said they tried to destroy Brett Kavanaugh so they could fill the seat. They were dumb enough to say that. I've seen this movie before. It's not going to work. It didn't work with Kavanaugh. We've got the votes to confirm uh, Justice Ginsburg's replacement before the election. We're going to move forward in the committee. We're going to report the nomination out of the committee to the floor of the United States Senate so we can vote before the election. That's the constitutional process. After Kavanaugh, everything changed with me. They're not going to intimidate me, Mitch McConnell, or anybody else. I'm getting outraised three to one, outspent four to one. If you want to help me fight back, go to lindsaygram.com. Five or ten bucks from half your audience would fill in the gap that I'm facing. But we're going to have a process that you'll be proud of. The nominee is going to be supported by every Republican in the Judiciary Committee, and we've got the votes to confirm the judge, the justice, on the floor of the Senate before the election, and that's what's coming. Senator, they, they want to stack the court. They want to end the filibuster for even legislation. They're yes. talking about impeaching the president, impeaching the attorney general. All the precedent had been broken so far by Democrats. Um, now they're going to take it to this level? Do you, because they've already liberal, done it before, why would, they, why would we not believe them now? Name one liberal justice nominated by a Democrat that had their life ruined. Uh, they're talking about changing the Electoral College. If they keep the House, the Senate, and the White House, this country will change fundamentally. The Electoral College will be uh, uh, obliterated, will go to a popular vote. D.C. and uh, the, uh, Puerto Rico will become states. There'll be 104 senators. Uh, it goes on and on and on. There'll be additional members of the Supreme Court. They'll all be liberal. They're going to take the process, the rules, and change them to their benefit. Now, the only thing stopping them is you, the voter. If you want to help me and other Republicans get into the game, they're killing us financially. I'm in South Carolina, not exactly a liberal state. My opponent's going to raise $80 million. I need conservatives to help me. You need to help us all lindsaygram.com oh by the way and this so does is that merely... justify keeping something like impeachment on the table does that mean no, that that's look, that I, I don't think that's i the reason i reject that politics and i look, i understand the speaker i would never underestimate her to look at all of her efforts and all her tools but the idea of talking about impeachment is somehow retribution that is what is corrosive to our political system that somehow we have to one up them i actually think when you look at ginsburg one of the things people loved about her was even when she disagreed with scalia she had a friendship if you really think about, and that was Rob Emanuel on the backside, I decided to throw that in. If you really think about how the left has acted since the beginning, I don't think they know the American people. I just don't think they do. I think a lot of people, because of the bias, because of the violence that we're getting over and over and over are being quiet, but they remember. They remember. They're not stupid. They remember what the fuck happened to Kavanaugh. They remember how 
They acted on every phase of this. And you can't, I'm telling you, you're, you can't put back in the bottle what you guys did for the last three months. You just can't. And the media knows it. And the Democrats know it. And that's why they're spinning so hard with anything they could try to get. It's like overdrive. This article broke. ABC Town Hall masquerades anti-Trump activists as uncommitted voters. Multiple voters characterized by ABC News as done decided and selected to pepper Trump with questions during a network town hall are longtime Trump critics. While the network claimed its Tuesday town hall provided uncommitted voters the opportunity to ask the president questions about issues affecting Americans, a Washington Free Beacon review of social media posts found that two of the questioners have long denounced Trump. One of them, Scarks Diva, a black lady. Just like Trump, America does not need this unnecessary complication. Schultz, go away. John Bassett, that was obvious from a tone, facial expression, and content of the questions. Stephanopoulos is an embarrassment to fair and balanced journalism. They faked it. But when don't they fake it? Tell me a time where any of this, from Katie Couric to... I mean, Jesus, tell me a time, folks, that they haven't faked this shit. And in that lady's article, they still believe everybody wants abortion. Well, they do, but they don't want your abortion live birth. And I think a lot of people are going to go to the polls and remember, coon man fucking Northam, live birth abortion, Super Bowl champ releases pro-life film with interviews from across the aisle. Ben Watson, that it came out. And I tie in a freaky one. Sophie Lewis, per Twitter bio, theorized heterosexualism, anti-work, family ab- abolition, queer care. She's an author of Full Surrogacy Now, Feminism Against Family. Scholarship offers a fear of trans-feminist cultural criticism, Queer social reproduction theory, notably about around utopian critiques of family, Marxism, and black and abolitionist feminists. Her research currently focuses on the etiologies of eugenics, bioconservative, and imperial feminism, including narratives of so-called white slavery, past and present, feminine feminationalism, and trans-exclusionary femocratism. Sophie Lewis. Well, I watched my octopus teacher on Netflix, a flawed but moving documentary about a straight man who has life-changing erotic relationship with a female octopus. I cried, then read out loud to my friends the entirety of the essay. This is the left. This is a Biden voter. The octopus body is itself a thinking thing. Implicit for me is Scrinivian's essay full of disgusting quotes from bros like Aristotle and Victor Hugo reacting to soma tabacically to the bodies. I don't even know what that word is. Is the intrinsic queerness of octopus epidemiology come embodiment? Folds, radii, openness, penetratable, the gynophobia of Hugo take on octopi was particularly clear to me on e-reading piece because I happened to be fully watch Igor's 2019 maritime horror, The Lighthouse, with its mermaid vulva tentacles. 
watching Mott as a trio of acid-dripping queers and made us hoot with laughter when the you're-straight diver first encounters what to us is so obviously the logic of femme excess and reports back in total perplexity. What is she doing? Duh. This is a queer slut from outer space, teacher. Is about the conservation Craig Foster's relationship with the octopus. At one point, they have a form of sex. The boundaries between her body and mind disappear. This is precisely what the diver says in Hokusi's famous print, Oh, Boundaries and Borders Gone. Foster's is an amicable guy. I applaud his sea change project effort to project the kelp forest of the African coast. Yeah, that's that's the left. And people know it. We all know it. So, sound bites of the day. Then we go into this in the American wrap it up. We're going to play uh, Herbert with Romo. I wasn't going to touch football, but Herbert got five minutes notice, went out and played really good. The Oregon quarterback for the Chargers. Got to play a soundbite. A Republican who has been fucking referenced to being Attila the Hun, made a joke of it and went viral. And a UFC fighter saying Trump's going to win. His career's done. Well, my gosh. What can I say except, Debbie, you're going to Paris, and this is the final answer heard all around the world. He's won a million dollars. I'm telling you, I can tell already, this kid is for real. This is special. Third and three. And I told you, Jimmy's special. It's a third and goal. End zone bound. Perfect pass. Touchdown, Chargers. Jalen Guyton. Open in the far corner. And Herbert delivered that with plenty of zip to get it to him in time. This is a rare throw. This guy has deep third, deep third of the field, that means. You can't get deep. Now watch right here. That corner is looking at the quarterback. He's trying to cover him and him. His job is really outside first. I can't believe Herbert looks... It's a third and goal. End zone bound. Perfect pass. Touchdown, Chargers. Jalen Guyton. Open in the far corner. And Herbert delivered that with plenty of zip to get it to him in time. This is a rare throw. This guy has deep third, deep third of the field, that means. You can't get deep. Now watch right here. That corner is looking at the quarterback. He's trying to cover him and him. His job is really outside first. I can't believe Herbert. I'm telling you, I can tell already, this kid is for real. This is special. Third and three. And I told you, Jimmy's special. Down and recover from second and 24. Coming after him, got it away. Oh, what a catch. It's Keenan Allen. Jim, that throw and that catch. Unbelievable. That's with the pressure coming at you. You're going to watch Allen get over. There's a guy in front, a guy behind. 
This is the face of utter glee. Bill's beaming from ear to ear as he enjoys footlong season at Subway. Pro game, working with the Charger quarterback coach, Pep Hamilton, and they are just amazed at how fast he's picked up on things. The three. First and goal. Herbert still has it. Herbert's going to take it in for the touchdown. Welcome to the NFL. We'll check the flag. Well, usually the flag's going to be holding, most likely, on the Chiefs. You saw it right in front of you. I cannot believe what a start. Shocking everybody. No chance to get... Did you know Kelly Leffler was ranked the most conservative senator in America? Yep. She's more conservative than Attila the Hun. Fight China. Got it. Attack big government. Yeah. Eliminate the liberal scribes. More conservative than Attila the Hun. Uh-oh. Kelly Leffler, 100% Trump voting record. I'm Kelly Leffler. I approve this message. John Anik, let me start off by saying you've been doing a tremendous job lately. You've been working so hard tonight, so let me take this off your hands for a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, the silent majority is ready to make some noise. If you thought that was a beating, wait till November 3rd when Donald Trump gets his hands on Sleepy Joe. That's going to be a landslide. Hey, and Cody. I want to, I want to, I want to dedicate this fight to all the first responders, all the military out there. You know, this world would not be safe without you guys. You know, you keep us safe, and uh, you know, not these woke athletes, man. I'm sick of these woke athletes and these spineless cowards like LeBron James. And speaking of spineless cowards, Marty Fake Newsman, Street Judas, we got unfinished business. There's nowhere to run and there's nowhere to hide. I'm coming for you. You're next. All right, Colby Covington with a legacy-building win here tonight. Which brings us to our This Is America. It's getting really hard to pick This Is America because it's all just bad. But this one is egregious. It's all CNN. Block the nominee. Ford was right. America's totally screwed. So let's just destroy the Constitution. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. Catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. Well, and, and it won't just affect real people's lives for uh, the immediate future. Um, it's going to be decades. And, you know, we're talking about issues like, you know, will um, will there be any sort of regulation of campaign finance in America or will will campaigns essentially be deregulated, as was suggested in the Citizens United decision? You know, will affirmative action remain an option for universities and employers in America? Will the federal government be able to regulate pollution and climate change in the United States? All of these issues wind up before the Supreme Court, and this justice will will address them for the next three or four decades. Obamacare, though, right away. To be clear, Obamacare is on the calendar for immediately after the election. So that is something. Go ahead, Jeffrey. And remember, the issue in that case, there are several issues, but one very distinct possibility is that the entire statute 
will be thrown out. So that means no protection for uh, pre-existing conditions, no lifetime caps on, you know, a return to lifetime caps on benefits, no keeping your kids on on your insurance until they're 25. All of that goes out the window. If this case goes the way Amy Coney Barrett has said it should go, which is get rid of Obamacare. As journalists, it is our job to call out the hypocrisy and it is our job to look at the shifting justifications, which are frankly bunk. I mean, they made up rules, they changed them, they moved on, made up new rules. As analysts, I think it's important to note that if the politics of shame worked on Senate Republicans, calling them out for hypocrisy, then we would have a Justice Merrick Garland. We certainly would not have a Justice Brett Kavanaugh um, after Christine Blasey Ford testified. Read you what former Obama advisor David Axelrod had to say. He, he says, quote, if Donald Trump and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell ram through a replacement now, the SCOTUS will have a majority of justices appointed by presidents who finish second in the popular vote, confirmed by Senate majorities who represented less than half of the country. A tyranny of the minority. He uses that word tyranny. Do you see it that way? I, so this, is, I think, is what is wrong about how President Trump is justifying his decision. He's essentially saying that we can do it, therefore we should do it. But the whole point of the Supreme Court is actually to stand as a check on the other two branches of government, which means that our choices about it should be as free of partisanship and politics as possible. It's not about what you can do here. It's, what, it's about what you should do. And if I were the Republicans, I would be thinking the other way. I would be thinking, what is the not only what is the right thing to do, but also what's the reaction going to be if, as you say, a president who lost by three million votes, joined by senators who represent a very small percentage of Americans, do something to affect the interpretation of the Constitution, a Constitution which which begins, of course, with the idea that the entire framework of American law comes from the people. We push ourselves too far away from that. We begin to have problems. I think of all the uncertainty in the country right now. You just wrote a book on America's failures in responding to the coronavirus pandemic. But on top of that, the president has made some people doubt whether their vote will actually count. And now we have this uncertainty on the Supreme Court. Just how precarious is our situation right now? It's 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 very precarious, but it's precarious in the ways that, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was quite properly worried about in 2013. It's precarious in the ways that African-Americans have faced for, you know, the last hundred years and more. It's Jeffrey Tubin is here, our chief legal analyst and Arianna Vogue, CNN Supreme Court reporter. Uh, so good to have bo- both of you very much. Um, OK, Jeffrey, yours was the first piece I read over the weekend about uh making the case that Democrats are not powerless. But what power do they have to to stop whomever the president chooses? Well, it's really more a power of retribution than a power of stop. Um, It it is true that uh, since the filibuster has been abolished for uh, Supreme Court nominations, um, it really just takes for for that that with 53 Republicans in the Senate and Vice President Pence to break ties, this is really under the control of the Republicans. But there are political uh, tools that the Democrats have um, to try to force two more Republicans to join with Collins and and Murkowski. What the point I was making is that if Biden wins and if the Democrats retake the Senate, 
then there are real options for the Democrats. They can add two or more seats to the Supreme Court. Uh, they can abolish the filibuster. They can uh, grant statehood um, to D.C. And, and Puerto Rico. And they can add to the overall total of federal judges, which hasn't changed in decades. So, you know, there are hardball options, but the Democrats need to win some elections before they can exercise them. Since 2016, the party that elected a constitutional professor, supposedly, who got C's at Harvard, has done nothing but call for the overthrow of said constitution. They want nothing to do with it. Be it electoral college, be it the filibuster. A party that has said over and over that the rhetoric of the President of the United States has caused so much violence simultaneously called for violence so many times that I end my podcast with it. And now every time something doesn't go their way, the first thing that happens is protesters in the streets called for by Democrats and the media, and they start beating people. I didn't put enough emphasis on that Pennsylvania suburb lady. Do I think Biden's going to win? I just got this feeling with all the negative press, the way the media is acting, the amount of fucking craziness. I'm afraid people are going to go like my mom did and go, let's just vote for the other person and make this stop. But it won't stop. It'll keep going. They have unleashed the genie from the bottle. And they will alter America in a way that's insane. Because every time the Dems win, they believe they'll never lose again. And they alter the levers of power, not thinking about them being the minority party. And then the Republicans being the pussies that they are, or the adults. Change it back. And it goes back to whatever it was. And then we go through this again. We went through this with the Dem Senate. That's how you got the ACA. And then we went back to normal business. We have to stand our ground. It's harder when Trump's the president because he's not a good vessel. But they have their vessel. A guy they don't let out in public who will do anything the far left says because he just wants to be president. He's tried like 90 times. But really ask yourself, is that what you want? We have to act like we do with terrorists. Nobody barters with terrorists. Nobody does any negotiation with terrorists because if you do it, then all terrorists want it. That's why people don't pay out bounties or hostage-taking fucking ransom. They just ignore them because if you start doing it, then every group in the world to do it just so they can finance their violence. Round one, we did it. Major corporations, people, Everybody given to Act Blue, you're donating to a terrorist organization. We, the people, have to stand up against this type of conduct. This is not the country we want. Nobody wants to be in a country 
that you can't have an opinion and where it's okay for a set of ideologies to take to the street, burn shit, and beat people. The op-ed by the lady and the amount of guns that are being purchased nationwide tells me in my heart more people think like me than they think like the media. But it'll do no good if we don't go in November 3rd and literally vote red. I've never said it on my show, but I'm saying it now. Democrats cannot have power. They are horrible people who have an anger problem. And until they learn to act like adults and say what they're going to do for the country instead of what they're going to change in the country until they accept that everybody in this country doesn't think like them and not everybody believes in octopus sex. But everybody does believe it's okay to wear an opposing party hat without getting beaten. We should not allow them to be in charge of a fucking taco stand, let alone three branches of our government. Because their pack the court just means they'll put all Dems on the bench to push through things none of us are for. So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politics Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast, gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the Twitter page of Fop Tony Reed. Our next show will be Sunday, 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 27, September, Year of Our Lord, 2020. As always, thank you for listening, my friends. Disconnect from your devices. Spend some time with your family. Turn off cable news or so it's going to hurt you. And tune in Sunday for our next show. I'm going to end it like I've been ending it with a violent montage. I, I, I just don't Thanks even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, be kidding. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. So even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. Mm-hmm. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, 
at a gasoline station. You get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution are, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels, that this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And part of the challenge we have as a nation is that a significant swath of Americans still support Donald Trump. They support his vision of America, and that is rooted in racism. It is rooted in a desire for power at the expense of everyone who is black and brown. And so what we have in this problem is a, is a, is a spiritual kind of tyranny of the worst impulses, uh, you know, as uh, Dr. Meacham said, um, you, know, you know, sort of weaponizing narcissism. That will send a shockwave through this country. And Donald Trump may not accept the results, but who gives a shit? Because the rest of the country will be forced to. I'm at the point where I'm ready to put these police to the fucking grave. I'm at the point where I want to burn the fucking White House down. I want to take it to the senators. I want to take it to the Congress. I want to take the fight to them. And at the end of the day, if they ain't going to hear us, we burn them the fuck down.
Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Makes every day count. Thank you, Lord.